Why do you feel it's necessary to yak about bullshit? Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. You are afraid to be alive. You are afraid to live. Will you listen to me, Parker? Shut up! Welcome to the Film Buds Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Film Buds Podcast. This is episode number four. Uh, and my name is Henry. Uh, this is Braden. Um, and we are joined today by a very special guest, a good friend of mine who is uh, in Texas right now uh, over Skype. Um, he's a huge comic book fan and is Mr. Paul Davis. Paul, thank you so much for being hey, with us. It it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, nice to see you as well. Um, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, Spider-Man Homecoming and uh, what's the other fucking movie? Uh, oh, Batman. The 1989 version of Batman. Um, <laughs> sorry. Weird mind. We've had some issues beforehand, so I'm a little frazzled. Um, so, yeah, it's our second retro review is what we call it, which is essentially a, a movie that has a, uh, a, a vague connection one way or the other to the new release. And in this case, it's Michael Keaton because he's Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. And he's obviously Batman uh, and the 1989 Batman movie. Um, and so, yeah. Um, well, Braden, how are you doing, first of all? Um, it's a sweltering Tuesday afternoon here in lovely North Carolina. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm doing okay trying to stay out of the heat, but mm-hmm. same old, same old. And, Paul, since you're in Texas, how's that? You know, are you, uh, is it, I'm guessing it's hot. Yeah, it's a little bit toasty. Uh, it's not too bad, though. I mean, at this point, I should be used to it. Uh, I've been here for uh, a little over a week, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I'm coming up on, like, the 10-day mark, so... Nice. And what's the uh, what's the political climate out there? Is it, like, super liberal? <laughs> or is it... Uh... Uh, well, I'm in Austin, so Austin's pretty liberal. So Austin uh, is super liberal. You do get the occasional... Uh, I did see a few... Uh, Ted Cruz for Prez bumper stickers. Uh, oh, nice. Like, you should really probably take that off. Yeah, that yeah. That one's a, a dead horse, so. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, and also, I guess, Paul, if you want, you can just say a little bit about yourself, if, you know, favorite uh, things. Yeah, sure. Um, I went to school with Henry, uh, graduated same year as Henry. Uh, I primarily focus on writing. I spent a year out in L.A. Uh, I did um, coverage writing uh, as an intern for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I'm doing sort of marketing. Um, and the MCU is my jam. Nice. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's a little bit about Paul. Um, oh, uh, fun thing, really quick, and we'll get to the movie. Uh, so when I went to see Spider-Man Homecoming... Um, ran into an old friend from middle school. That was kind of cool. She she saw me and she called me out from the crowd, um, and we spoke and had a nice little chat. Um, and it was kind of sad though. She went back after we had a little discussion. She went back um, to her group of like four or five friends, and I went back to my seat where it was just me, myself, and I. <laughs> and everyone else was with friends and family, and but I just said fuck it, you know. <laughs> Just yeah. me. Oh, I was just me today. Wondering how, how many people were in the audience because when I was there, 
granted it was a Monday afternoon, mm-hmm. so not the busiest time anyways, but, you know, I mean, Spider-Man Homecoming, barely anybody there, which was a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's one of those popcorn flicks everybody goes opening weekend and the theater gets slammed, you know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock Friday night, Saturday night, but otherwise it's kind of meh, but yeah, it was just strange. Actually, when I went to see Wonder Woman, which was like three weeks after release, I think there were more people in the auditorium for Wonder Woman at the time hmm. than there were for Spider-Man on Monday, hmm. just a couple of days after release. Well, I think it, um, it did like, uh, it made like over a hundred million this weekend. Oh, it did, it did huge opening numbers. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, it's so, you, you can never predict what an audience is good. It's very strange. It's mm-hmm. very strange. But yeah. Audiences are fickle beasts. That is, that is a very true. Indeed. Um, but yeah, so that was fun. Really fun. Um, and is there anything else going on, Brain? It's kind of been a little bit of a, a boring week. Not much going on here. Pretty boring week, yeah. No alter- altercations like there was the last week. Um, no. No. Unfortunately. No, it was... Quiet, quiet weekend. Yesterday was quiet. I, I like quiet. I, I enjoy quiet. I like quiet, quiet as well. Quiet and calm are good things yeah. generally. And I did actually get a um, right before the show. Got a little movie, uh, like journal writing thing for note taking in the theater from the Crazy Owls place right over there. Oh. And so now I can go in my, with my little. I'm never alone if I have my. Uh, what do you call it? Notepad, journal, (laughs) log. Yeah, um, so if I'll have that from now on. I'll probably look super nerdy, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, Good quality stuff. Um, We'll get you a trench coat to go with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, um, unless we have anything else, Paul, anything else you want to mention before we uh, jump into Spider-Man? Not really. I went to to see it at... Alamo Draft House down here, uh, and they were giving out little masks with it, and it was a pretty good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went with, I was supposed to, my sister bought the tickets, but then my sister was out of town, so I went with uh, one of her co-workers and his uh, brother-in-law, nice. I think it is. So I went with two people that I didn't know at all, and it was a great time. Nice. That's always fun. They've, uh, they've got an Alamo Draft House actually opening up here in North Carolina now. Oh, really? Yeah, in Raleigh. I didn't know that. Yeah, I just found out about that. Obviously, you know, what with being sort of in the theater industry mm-hmm. here in North Carolina, uh, we get wind of a lot of the theater openings. There's one opening over in Raleigh, uh, and I'm kind of curious to see what it's like. So yeah, um, I would... when I was down to Athens in Georgia um, for grad school, there was a little place down there called Cine which not quite the extravaganza that uh, Alamo Draft House is, but it had a nice little bar, coffee bar, mixed drink bar, uh, really beautiful little lot. A lot of people went there just to hang out in the lobby, yeah. have a few drinks. And I think that's kind of, isn't that sort of the thing that Alamo Draft House is, is a lot of people will go there not even necessarily to catch a movie, but just to sort of hang out, have a couple beers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a whole network of, you know, bar, restaurant, theater, uh, merch also through Mondo, which they pair with all the time. Um, so it's all about like that sort of experience of like you know this cool place that you can go to. The one that I went to has this stretch of carpet that is meant to mimic the carpet from The Shining Hotel. Ooh. And then they've got the hallway on the wall, 
and they've got a big trike that you can go and like sit on and that kind of thing. Yeah, now if they could just get a couple twins to stand at the end of the hallway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, Come that's, play with us. That's it was a great impersonation. I try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, enough uh, goofing off here. Um, I guess we can just jump into our review of Marvel's Spider-Man Homecoming, and we've got a clip. Let's take a listen. Oh, it's not! It's nothing! Nothing! You're the Spider-Man from YouTube. I'm not. You were on the ceiling. What was it? Ned, what are you doing in my room? Well, let me in. You said we're going to finish a Death Star. She doesn't know. Nobody knows. Well, I mean, Mr. Stark knows because he made my soup, but that's it. Well, Tony Stark made you that. Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. You can't tell anybody about this. Gotta keep it a secret. A secret? Why? You know what she's like. If she finds out, people try and kill me every single night. She's not gonna let me do this anymore. Okay, 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 okay. I'll level with you. I don't think I can keep this a secret. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't believe this is happening right now. All right. Um, so, Spider-Man: Homecoming is uh, directed by John Watts and stars Tom Holland, Michael Keaton. Robert Downey Jr., Marissa Tomei, Donald Glover, and Zendaya. That's how you say the name. I don't know. Zendaya, I believe. Zendaya. Zendaya. I was thinking Zendaya. Ah, yeah. Zendaya. Well, I like Zendaya. That's... <laughs> I, I don't know. Putting the emphasis on the wrong syllables. Yeah. Um, and the uh, IMDb plot synopsis is Peter Parker, with the help of his mentor, Tony Stark, tries to balance his life as an ordinary high school student in New York City while fighting crime as, a, as his superhero alter-ego Spider-Man when a new threat emerges. Um, all right, well, since, Paul, you're our guest, why don't you uh, kick us off? What did you think of this thing? Uh, I really loved it. Um, for me, it's definitely the best Spider-Man film that we've had so far. I think that uh, Tom Holland is our best Peter Parker to date. Uh, and I also think it's our best Spider-Man to date. I think that it's an important distinction between the two uh, to identify both the Peter Parker element and the Spider-Man element. Mm -hmm. um, I think Keaton was a really great villain. Um, Spider-Man has a really, really fantastic rogues gallery in the comics, ranging from you know really well-known ones like Green Goblin and Doc Ock to lesser-known ones like Vulture. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really, really rich mythos, and I feel like they tapped into it in the right ways. And I feel like they actually had like a youthful uh, Spider-Man story, a youthful Peter Parker story. Yeah. Um, and I think that overall it was a really, really successful film. I haven't decided how I feel about it in the context of the MCU as a whole, in terms of sort of, you know, favorites amongst them. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's easily my favorite Spider-Man film thus far. Wow. Big words, Brayden. Very big words. Very. Now you, Brayden, you go. Um, I enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, Marvel has has really been spot on with a lot of the films they've been doing so far in the series. I mean, even their the weaker of the films in the MCU have been still pretty enjoyable, and you know, head and shoulders above any of the of the other comic book films that have preceded it, because the other comic book films, you know, before the whole MCU were just sort of a joke. They were just throwaway. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll, we'll get to that when we discuss the whole Batman series, uh, with, with the retro view, but, um, this was a lot of fun. I, I don't know if it was 
my favorite. There were a lot of bits and pieces that sort of fell out here and there. Um, like, sort of his epiphany felt very rushed at the end of the film. Hmm. Um, and I will say, particularly after seeing the, the, the climactic battle scene, uh, well, I guess the two climactic battle scenes in uh, Captain America Civil War, uh, the re reliance on CG and context in this climactic fight scene between Vulture and Spider-Man is sort of too much CG, too many effects, sort of fell apart. It wasn't really focusing on, you know, these two guys striving against one another. It was, I don't know, on a plane in the midair, mid flying along at Mach whatever. Yeah. And um, so it was so dark... It was very it was, dark in that scene. Yeah, it was hard to tell what what the action was. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the characters and the acting, I thought all of that was very good, and, and it definitely does get more of a, a, a youthful feel to it as opposed to sort of the old 90210 effect Spider-Man that you had with the original Tobey Maguire mm -hmm. uh, because it was a bunch of 30-somethings playing what were supposed to be teenage kids, and so that felt yeah. always a little off. Mm -hmm. Um uh, the Andrew Garfield, I don't even recognize that. That that whole that two 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 film arc, I don't. You know, that's yeah. that's gone and done. I don't mm -hmm. even want to discuss that. I think Paul's right there with you. Yeah, which is a shame because I like Andrew Garfield. I do too. And I really like Emma Stone. I love Emma Stone. Uh, but for some reason, that particular arc was kind of mm, it just it just it just didn't go anywhere. It's a whole non-starter. Um, that being said, I quite like this one, but I'm frankly, I'm still the second, uh, Sp Spider-Man two from the original trilogy, the Tobey Maguire one, um, Sam Raimi direction and some of the camera work that he did, particularly the Doc Ock scene yeah. and the hospital and, um, uh, Alfred Molina as Doc oh, Ock oh, was so just good. amazing. I mean, Michael Keaton was quite good here, mm -hmm. but, um. I don't know. Alfred Molina was just outstanding. He was so so good in that role. Um, Otto Octavius, yeah. So I, it, for me at least, that second film in that the original trilogy is still the best film. But this is I. I would say that this is probably I, I've been thinking about it, and I would say you know I originally liked the the first of the original trilogy better than this one, but now I think this is. The more I thought about it, the more this one's grown on me, and I think it's 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 a better, cleaner, better polished. It doesn't seem quite as campy in some ways, mm -hmm. um, but still Sam Raimi's direction, Alfred Molina, a lot of the camera work that was done in that second Spider-Man that was that was just remarkable. So that's still my favorite, but this one is is I would say has has to be second. Spider-Man: Homecoming is second. So interesting. Um, well, I'll just say, um, my spidey senses were not tingling for this one. <laughs> no? Oh, <laughs> no. Okay. No, that brilliant line, so I'm sure listeners are loving it. Um, I mean, I thought it was okay. I definitely, I was just kind of underwhelmed. I felt about the same way I did about Doctor Strange, just kind of a serviceable blockbuster for the most part. Um, I just, I'm not crazy about Tom Holland. Sorry, Paul. Um, but... And also, I just, I've just felt he was kind of whiny. And I know it's high school. I know that. But it just, maybe it was just his, more his performance rather than the writing. It just kind of wore on me after a while. Um, 
and also every, most of the relationships in the movie just felt so kind of surface level shallow like for one thing why did they cast the grand budapest hotel kid as the as flash yeah wow. i didn't quite understand Terrible. that just not good paul did you like him yeah Okay. <laughs> well, I, I think I think it is it is it's part of. I give him kudos for at least trying to do this, yeah. but sometimes it feels a little forced. But uh, from what I understand, and Paul, you probably know better than I do about all of this. But but um, from what I understand, Marvel has been really going for the diversity thing, and they've got. Um, Sorry, there's some fucking guy rolling a cart outside. Is that what that was? I okay. think so, yeah. Anyways. Um, but Marvel's really been hammering the diversity and trying to, instead of it being a bunch of middle-aged white guys who are all superheroes, now they're trying to uh, diversify things, and they've got uh, people of other, you know, gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, nationality. They've got people from sort of all walks of life getting into the superhero thing now. Mm -hmm. And so I think, in a, in a way, in a nod to that, rather than Flash being just, like, a studly blonde white boy rocking around, the, you know, why can't the popular, smart, athletic kid be yeah. somebody who's, you know, but, other than white? But see, the thing is, like, even though the, I guess you could call the villain the, or the Flash Thompson character in the very first Spider-Man, which is, like, a athletic jock guy... At least, you, you, I mean, it's you could Joe call that... Magliano, by the way. Huh? It's well, Joe Mangliano who plays him in the first one. Oh. Uh, um, Fun fact for you. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, shit, lost my train of thought. Um, oh, so you could, you could call him that cliched, it's like this jock guy, but at least he was, like, kind of intimidating. Mm -hmm. But then in this, it's just like this guy who, and also he's part of the spelling bee group. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, well, he's part of the academic decathlon team. Yeah, yeah, it's just it didn't do much for me, and or I didn't really get his motivation well, for doing it either. Yeah, that's the thing is is to this in this rather than being, I mean, Flash in the original ones wasn't necessarily a villain, but he was kind of the the high school bully, whereas the Flash in this one just seems like a rich punk kid. Mm -hmm. So he's 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 well, not really a foil to Peter Parker, just sort of a. I don't know. It's just a guy. But yeah. What were you saying, Paul? I think that uh, going back to sort of the diversity thing and the casting of Tony Revolori and some of those elements, I think that what they're trying to do is, I mean, mod uh, modern New York City is not necessarily a white city anymore. And so I think that they were trying to sort of take that angle. You know, he's living in Queens. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think they were trying to take that angle. And I think that maybe... The premise behind Tony Revolori, and again for me, I guess it worked, is that the fit moron uh, jock type is not necessarily everyone's bully. And I think that maybe sort of what they're getting at is that the new currency of, of bullydom, if you will, is exactly that. You know, currency, it's wealth, it's affluence, it's ability. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if sort of the general idea behind it was instead of him being a big brute, you know, he's an intelligent guy who also has a lot of wealth and just, for whatever reason, be it classism, be it being a high school-age shithead, um, yeah. you know, he just wants to take him down a peg. 
Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting because, I mean, it sort of dovetails in with uh, Toombs' speech at the end of the film and his whole thing about, you know, well, we're just we're just blue-collar schlubs and, and all the wealthy guys are just sort of stepping, you know, boot heel on our neck kind of thing. And that's, that's why he was putting together illegal high-tech weaponry. And, I mean, I, I didn't... That was one of the other things that sort of bothered me is, okay, w wonderful, you've got a little speech sort of laying out your worldview here, but it seemed as though it was sort of a slapdash excuse for, for making a quick buck rather than sort of uh, something that had been... Yeah, it, it just... It his motivation just wasn't very inspired to me. Yeah. It was just kind of, okay, he, I mean, he wants to support his family, but I've seen that he's got his times. He's know? got his tough situation at the beginning of the film. He gets bumped off of his salvage, his salvage, his very lucrative salvage job mm -hmm. in New York following the Battle for New York. And then um, he gets cranky, throws some punches, and then turns to a life of crime. I mean, that strikes me as... You know, if if you got a blue collar guy, and he gets thrown down by circumstances, maybe he would go this route like Tombs did. But I would think that a lot of people sort of would rise above that and say, "Okay, well, I'll just I'll just go find another another job, yeah, and continue on with my life in a moral fashion rather than making lots of weapons and selling them to whomever has yeah. the money to buy them." Right. Um but yeah, I uh, just. Uh, oh God, I keep on losing my fucking train of thought. Oh, no, but one thing I do want to comment, just uh, since this is the first Marvel movie, and there are so many of these movies out now, to me they really are starting to feel pretty similar. Like mm -hmm. it's um, like probably starting from maybe Civil War to now, with the exception of Logan, which I love, although that's not technically. That's the, yeah, the that's not MCU though. Yeah, um, they're just. There's not enough drama, really. There's just not enough... I think the direction... Like, the, the guy, John Watts, who directed this, it's just he brings... He can put the script on the screen. And it's just... It doesn't... There's yeah. no real... Like, it could be the same guy that directed Doctor Strange or Civil War. Or, I mean, maybe not Civil War, but it's... Like, with Sam Raimi, you get that kind of sense of awe with mm -hmm. and wonder with the Spider-Man character. And I really like that. Like, um, when he's... Um, when he first discovers his powers, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And then he's like swinging through the, the tractor trailers and the taxis on, um, in the first one, like through Times Square and all that. That's awesome. And with this, it just feels like we're watching him from afar, from some like maybe if someone else had seen him, where in that it's like you're with him as he's swinging through the city. Well, that's you know? that's kind of one thing which I like about this is it doesn't. We've seen Spider-Man before. We've seen two previous iterations of Spider-Man before. Mm -hmm. So why do we need to go through all of that backstory again? Which is what I appreciate. Is we've seen so many Batman movies with with this backstory, and then you get to Batman v Superman, and then they throw it at us again. Mm -hmm. And you know that film needed a serious amount of editing to begin with. Wait, uh, Dawn of, of Justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that needed some serious editing to begin with. But um, the whole, you know, here's Batman's backstory yet again. Why? We all know it but now. But it's in, like, the first five minutes of that movie. It's just... it just Yeah, it, but it's, like, because of the slow-mo, it's, like, the opening ten. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Classic Zack Snyder. Classic Zack Snyder. But um, 
I mean, don't don't throw that. Which I appreciate about this film, and you, so you don't get a lot of the stuff about him sort of feeling out his powers the way that you do in the Sam Raimi films, the way that you do with uh, Tony Stark playing around with the Iron Man suit in that very first, which, which was very charming and it's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. But I, I I understand at least why, from a director uh, director's point of view, you wouldn't throw that stuff in to a Spider-Man film again. We're off. He gets bitten by a radioactive spider. I mean, as far as backstories go, that's kind of boring anyways, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, so I appreciate that they didn't throw that at us again, because, so I, I, I didn't have to spend another five, ten minutes going, oh, he's bitten by the spider, oh, he wakes up and he goes, oh, I yeah. look my I, ass. I don't have an issue with that, but, I don't know, what, Paul, you got some other stuff you want to say? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think that when you look at, um, going back to slightly earlier topics, uh, just sort of going back and, and synthesizing forward. Yeah, do it. Um, you know, with his motivation, with Keaton's motivation, one, I think it's kind of the Walter White effect, right? You know, it's this blue-collar guy. He overextended himself financially. Um, and so I think the implication, and maybe they didn't make the implication clear enough, but I think the implication is that, um, his stretching himself was going to lead to, like, financial ruin. Right. Not like, you know, just, oh, I'll get another job, but, like, true financial ruin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I wouldn't say necessarily, um, just to, to make things sort of fair, I suppose, uh, Alfred Molina's big motivation was his wife dies, and the neural inhibitor in his artificial intelligent claws gets fried, and they take over his brain. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's not necessarily also, like, its own great motivation, but I think the thing that I like about Keaton that is also what I like about Molina isn't necessarily the motivation, but the execution. Right. Um, And how relevant it felt to both Peters. You know, that Peter was on the cusp of losing everyone that he loved. That Doc Ock lost everyone that he loved. You know, sort of that dark mirror thing, uh, the dark reflection. And with this, it's... You know, a similar thing, but it's Tony Stark takes away Vulture's opportunity, and it ruins him. Tony Stark gives Peter this opportunity, and it builds him up. And so I think that they're nice um, parallels to one another. Um, you know, up until this this defining moment that involves Tony Stark for each of them. Um, also, I think that with uh, this film... There may not be the web swinging, there may not be the grand design to the same effect, but what it taps into, I think, maybe not be a visual style choice, but a tonal style choice, which is tapping into sort of that John Hughesian influence, which is, you know, why you get like the little homage to Ferris Bueller. Yeah, right. Why they did that EW photo shoot where they were like posed like the Breakfast Club, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, people are like, why is Zendaya you know, MJ, and she's not hot, and she's not popular. Well, you know, if we're going to go on Gross. a YouTube thing, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Gross. spoiler alert, massive spoiler alert. Uh, um, How dare you? Banned. Zendaya. Banned. She's a beauty. <laughs> um, I think that they're sort of going to go for, like, you know, a 16 Candles, Molly Ringwald sort of thing um, with it. And so I think that, you know... They talked about how that was a big influence, and then also your first pair of writers. There were three writing duos that each took a pass at this. The first one is Jonathan Goldstein and Jonathan Francis Daly, 
um, who were writing partners on Cladding with a Chance of Meatballs 2, Horrible Bosses, Horrible Bosses 2. Brilliant um, film. John Francis <laughs> Daly is from uh, Freaks and Geeks. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a... And Freaks and Geeks. Huh. And I think you sort of see that influence in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your next passive writers were Watts and his writing partner from Clown and Cop Car, um, Christopher Ford. And he also did a movie called Robot and Frank with oh, Frank yeah. Angela. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a charming uh, film, yeah. Your last uh, duo are Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who were producers and writers on Community, Happy Endings, and the Lego Batman movie. And mm, I think that they sort of did a similar hat trick that they did with the Lego Batman movie, where they bake in um, the sort of rich mythos into Homecoming as a film. Uh, you know, with Donald Glover's character being uh, a character from the Miles Morales arc of things and hinting at Miles Morales and uh, and including multiple iterations of different villains and characters like the Tinkerer going sort of deep cuts with everything. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of the, the thoughts that I've had thus far. <laughs> yeah, just a few, a few thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, just a handful. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, yeah, so one thing, so now, I guess for listeners who don't know us, um, Paul and I debate DC versus Marvel like there's no tomorrow. There is no debate, by the way. No, there's no, so Um, far in terms of film at least, there's absolutely no debate. This is my, the thing that baffles me is that how can this movie get like a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes when it suffers from like the exact same issues or a lot of the same issues as like Batman v Superman? There's too many characters. There's too there's too many characters. There's too much plot. There's too many setups for other movies. This one? Yeah. I mean, compared there, to some of the other Marvels, particularly Captain America Civil War, which I still think is an outstanding film, but compared to uh, Captain America Civil War, the cast in this is it's very it's very streamlined. I know, but I mean, like, it's, it's just I don't feel like the the cast is so every, overwhelming. Every single person, their moment, it just doesn't. It, and it's not necessary. It bloats these runtimes, and it's just boring. And then, like the the Zendaya, what what? How'd you say it, Braden? I don't know. I, um, I have Zend- no Zendaya. Um, uh, it just I don't know. It's because in the in the first trilogy, or at least the first two, there was just a couple characters. It was streamlined. But in this, it's like we have the whole spelling bee team. We have the the subplot with Michael Keaton's uh, shocker guy. Don't need that. Yeah, who nothing. is that dude? It does nothing. Um, and it's just, I don't he's, know. I guess he's just a henchman. Every good villain needs a henchman. But we don't need a moment with him. Well, well, okay, I can see the, the, the main... The, Peter Parker and his immediate coterie of friends. Mm-hmm. That's, that's important. Uh, but I do see that there is some bloat. You're right, with the, with the shocker guy. Why, why is he there? Okay. Tombs, the vulture needs sort of a crew of guys. I understand that. They can come in and go out. But this whole shocker thing, other than sort of the dirty implications of a guy being called the shocker, um, you've got Donald Glover's character, which I used to, Paul, you say he's part of the canon, but in terms of the film, totally pointless, completely yeah. superfluous. And I wasn't crazy about him in the movie as a performance. I like Donald yeah. Glover usually, but he just well, felt kind of... Well, that's that's the thing, is, yeah. is, is, is maybe at some point he realized, you know, I've only got maybe five lines in this whole thing. 
my character's so just so throwaway, you know, I'm just gonna phone in my performance. Mm. Which which is a shame because I mean he's he's great. He's he's gonna be our our, our young Lando Calrissian. That's gonna be interesting. So that'll be cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that movie's having some issues. Is it? Oh yeah. We'll yeah. Get, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that. Okay. Later. Um, and I mean he's great in Atlanta. And I mean he writes it. I do really want to see that. I don't know if he does the direction, but I do know he he created it, writes it. And acts in it, and he's he's great. Yeah. It's it's a great show. If mm-hmm. nobody's seen it, go watch a few episodes. Mm-hmm. It's very discomforting to watch. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, oh, yeah, at we times. About that. Yeah, 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 but it's 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 brilliant, and it really makes you think. Um, but uh, you know, he was underutilized, and I didn't understand the point of his character in there. And then you know, the shocker, which I didn't understand the point of that yeah. character. Some of that stuff just didn't feel like it's in the same world. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Like, keep that stuff for, like, Avengers stuff, where it's more sci-fi, but then just keep this... That's one of the reasons I like the original trilogy so much, is because it feels very grounded, aside from the, like, the villains. Mm-hmm. It just... Well, if... If you want to get into Spider-Man sort of proper, I mean, he is very sci-fi. I mean, uh, Green Goblin is the result of a lab accident. Doc Ock is the result of a lab accident. The Lizard is the result of bad experimentation. Um... Shocker uses in the comics, you know, the shockwave gloves. Vulture uses a flight suit. Tinkerer, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if anyone out there knows better than me, feel free to email Henry about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, you're welcome. Send your hate mail, too. Tinkerer turns out to be like an alien. Yeah. In, like his first appearance in the comics. Um, so I wouldn't say that Spider-Man is completely divorced from sci-fi. Um... And even in the Ultimate lines, you know, in the Ultimate comic line, Rhino is a giant mech suit, kind of like an Amazing Spider-Man 2. God forbid I bring up that movie in any sense. Um, yeah, it's not. And then, um, you know, Shocker again is a guy with these, like, high-tech gauntlets. And he's actually in the Ultimate-verse. He's kind of a throwaway character. He's kind of a joke character. Um and so I guess maybe that's some of the problem is maybe it's a little bit too in-jokey for some people. Like, maybe mm. it's a little bit too, like, nudge-nudge if you're up on the mythos. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's some of it. Maybe, you know, I'm a little bit above your average uh, audience member in terms of my knowledge of Spider-Man. So maybe that's why I sort of got into it a little bit more. Mm. And maybe that's an excuse. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Uh, hey, Paul, can I tell you something? Yeah. I'm really regretting having you on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, so, but yeah, so I just, it, for me, I mean, the worst thing about it is just very forgettable. Like, most of the relationships, there's nothing to the the complex or emotional heights. Maybe just the f- performances are better in the Aunt May character and Peter in the first trilogy or Jane, uh, James Franco and uh, Peter in the first trilogy it just mm-hmm. those relationships feel so much more complex emotional there's there's no oh, hang on Braden. um there's no like emotional heights where I'm, I'm not saying the movie has to have this but just in terms of what i enjoy some of the things i enjoy about spider-man is that like there's no emotional scene with the the death of uncle ben like in the very first one that's a really intense moment and everything feels so driven by character in those movies it's like okay he needs he wants to impress Mary Jane, so he gets gets a car. Then that's what happens to Uncle Ben, um, or down the road because of that. And then everything feels so much more driven by plot 
in these movies. It's like, okay, we need to have this character moment so then he can go to the plot or that we can have the overarching plot there and then also for the next movie. And it just feels so kind of underwhelming, um, at least in my opinion. I'm, I, I'm sh- most people I've talked to lo- are really enjoying this movie, which nothing wrong with that at all. But um, it's like it's almost to the point where the drama is becoming so like surface level to me. It's almost yeah. like um, like the Dark Knight or Spider-Man 2 is like the drama in a, I don't know, like a Lord of the Rings movie. And then Spider-Man Homecoming is like a Game of Thrones episode where you know you get a little drama, you get some small moments, but, you know, we have ten more of these so that we're going to spread it out across, you know, five movies because he's in, what, three more at least? Yeah. Three or four. Um, and it's just, it's, it feels doesn't feel as self-contained or as driven by character, which is what I really like. And, yeah. But, yeah. Well, what, what is it? He's got another Spider-Man, another standalone Spider-Man film, and then he's in the next two, two Avengers films, yeah, the Infinity but, War films. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can understand that. And for me, that's, that was part of it, is it felt a little flat in terms of dramatic tension. I re- what I really wish would have happened is, is plumbing the depths of his interaction with, with his love interest, Liz, and then the, the, the issue of, spoiler alert, the issue of Toombs being her father. And it, there, there could have been a lot more sort of psychological, dramatic tension built up around that sort yeah. of... And strange uh, dynamic relationship, you know, the the good guy, the bad guy, and then the love interest, and um, that's kind of I think they, they did a better job of that in that in the Tobey Maguire trilogy between uh, Peter Parker and uh, James Franco's character. Um, what was Harry? Harry, Harry. yeah, pretty uh, brilliantly by Dane DeHaan, and then. Amazing Spider-Man 2. No. Terrible. Brilliant performance. Don't even get no. me started Brilliant. on that. <laughs> Weasley. His Jeez. weird edgy hair. Yeah, what was that about? It was awful. Oh, awful. It was terrible. Ooh. Terrible. Fucking goblinitis. You're, yeah. You're I a fraud, Spider-Man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who they have doing hair and makeup for that, but that person should have been fired. The, that's the bad thing about those movies is the design of any... Like villain is terrible. Yeah. Like the the lizard guy in the first one, mm-hmm. and then Jamie Fox looks like absolute shit in the second one. Yeah. And then the Green Goblin does. I I mean I appreciate how they actually went like tried to make him look like a goblin, but it just doesn't really fit to me. Yeah. Any, anyways. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, in in terms of dramatic tension, it, it, it felt a little hollowed out, a little flat compared to that original trilogy. But again, as you pointed out, the issue being that this character is going to be around for so long, you, you don't want to invest everything into the one film and then have nothing left for dramatic tension. Of course, that might not necessarily be a problem if you've got strong enough writers, which is something I don't want to take your thunder, so I'm not going to comment on it too much. I'll let no, you discuss no, this. Comment, but the, <laughs> the too many cooks spoil the broth, as they say. I yeah. mean, you, Paul, you were just saying they had three different two-man writers, six writers in total yeah. working on this that, thing? See, that, that's what I saw, and I really... Because that's what the Lego Batman movie had. It was five or six, and it's just like, that's too many hands on one story. Well, the Transformers thing floored me. You had three writers, At and least. I thought that was a lot. Yeah. And now you've got six writers mm-hmm. for, for this film? I mean... Yeah. Paul? Yeah. Any, any, 
any thoughts? <laughs> um, I guess to an extent it would really depend on how much of it was revision versus rewrite. Mm-hmm. Um, the upcoming Flash film has had, I think, two different writing groups, and they just brought in the third one to do, like, a page one rewrite. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think that it, it sort of does also depend on where where it is revision versus where it is rewrite. Because, I mean, if it's, like, you know, a bunch of revisions of the same single script, then we're probably going to get a little bit... Um, bogged down if somewhere along the line there was like a okay we're scrapping and rewriting it but we still have to give credit because we are borrowing some elements and because of how the the writer's guild is structured so i i won't speculate too much on what many writers will do um i mean spider-man 3 was three writers um amazing spider-man 2 was three writers um hollywood is so fucked (laughs) Um, make up your mind man you know so i mean it can and you know a lot of tv shows function in a writer's room format where there aren't many writers all um dipping into these characters and these moments so i don't think number of writers is too much of a problem uh you know i think end product is what's really more important oh yeah i agree um as far as whether or not there was tension, dramatic tension, that kind of thing, um, I could definitely see the argument of trying to incorporate a little bit more of the dynamic of Vulture as Liz's father. Um, and I think that that's a valid statement to make. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that statement. Um, God, I'm saying I'm a lot. I'm sorry for everyone listening. No, that's okay. Uh, Go on. Nope. I'm sure Damn. listeners are loving it. <laughs> so Our thousands. I think that the tension of Spider-Man has to come from the tension of Peter's life. And I think that maybe though you didn't get the tension of Vulture and Spider-Man, I do think that you got the tension of Peter having to choose and Ultimately, your Spider-Man story should be about Peter. That's why I think Raimi's first two films were so much better than, you know, the third film. And also why I think the Amazing Spider-Man duos sucked is because it wasn't about the dynamic of Peter Parker. It was about the dynamic of Spider-Man. Yeah. And in this one, I felt like they got the right amount of Peter's own struggle in there. And, you know, he's so anxious to move forward that then they pulled a nice little visual hat trick of having him take a step back so you know he's no longer in the nice high-tech new suit he has to step back go back to gen one spider-man uh and also you have that great moment it was probably my favorite moment in the film of him under the rubble crying out oh that was he good immediately just becomes a teenager again right yeah. he's yeah He's not the cocky guy. He's Peter in that rubble. Yeah. And he has to call on being Spider-Man. So for me, I think that that was probably your best dramatic moment yeah. in and, the film. And, th- and that's the moment I did really like. I mean, that's kind of like where it felt, okay, now we're now we're getting somewhere. But then 
it's over in like 15 minutes. Yeah. You know? And so, um, but yeah, one thing I, and it seems like I hate this movie, but I, um, I did like the design of his homemade outfit, the one with like the hood. Yeah. Um, and it has like the kind of like, uh, almost like swim goggle eyes. You know that one? That one, I really like that one a lot. And then I also like the, um, uh, shit. Um, the, all the different, uh, types of webs that he could shoot. You know, he gets that upgrade from Tony Stark, and then it's like, I mean, you, you don't never get to see, like, any of them, but still, it's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, is I think, is, is clever, is because you don't see him necessarily, oh, here are my powers, and I'm doing this, because it's assumed all these, his backstory has happened, he's been bitten by the spider, he's had his powers for a while now, and so, obviously, he's familiar with them, he's familiar with the extent of what he can do, his strength, his athleticism, and so forth. And I think I think that's it's it's sort of clever because the writers do, they they get a few things wrong, but but in some ways they get a lot of stuff right. And one of the things that they do is they substitute the suit Tony Stark and his present of this of this, you know, super ultra high tech Stark technology suit, for the process of him experimenting with his powers and learning the extent of his, his sort of newfound Spider Man persona, mm-hmm. and so. He gets into the suit and he's talking to the AI in the suit and what? Do you, what hey, suit, what can you do? And then he removes the, this training wheels protocol, and um, so we honestly we still don't even know the full. We know he can shoot all kinds of funky little web things, yeah. But we don't know the full extent of the suit, and not only that, but then there's the next version, next fucking thing of yeah. the suit, which Tony Stark says, "Here it is," and then Peter Parker. Sort of says, "Oh, that's cool, but no, I'm, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go okay. back to just being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man." Yeah. So I'm, again, sorry, spoilers, but um, uh, it was. I think I, I think it was kind of fun watching him in that underground uh, bunker. Oh, oh, that was like my favorite scene in the movie, yeah. probably playing he, around with the web. Because that's and, it's like okay, we're just hanging out with him now. The, yeah. the plot has ha- has to stop because he's stuck in this thing. Yeah. Now we're just hanging out with them, which that's what made me think of the original trilogy. I'm like, that's what I love is you're just kind of hanging out with them, and what they're doing seems to be driven by the character. But yeah, I, I did like that scene a lot. And he's kind of mm-hmm. like he has the spelling bee, the jacket, uh, jacket the on, jacket and yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, so that that was um, I think that was clever. That was a way of, of substituting rather than you know having to go through that backstory again. How about we move him into the next level and start presents him with this technology now he's got a newfangled suit and he's playing around with it and experimenting with it and figuring out what the i I thought that was kind of funny the the, one of the few things that's great about the donald glover scene is he goes in with the interrogation mode here he is this this little punk kid with this suit and he's projecting this angry you know sort of distorted voice and the whole thing is just so Outlandish. Oh yeah, oh, I did. Li- I did. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so the Donald Glover character just sort of looks at him and says, "You know, this isn't working. You yeah. Look, you, you you look and sound like an idiot." So. Yeah. But um, so I uh, I appreciated that. I thought that was sort of clever, is substituting, playing with the suit instead of experimenting with his powers. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I did. One issue I had is, which is one of the reasons I like the first trilogy so much is i never felt with the exception of that rubble scene where he's trapped i never felt like he was in danger yeah and also since we know he's going to be in five movies or however many 
it's like he you know he's thrown through a bus he's thrown through this then he just kind of gets right back up mm-hmm. and you never really know okay how just how strong is he and but in the first trilogy even just in the first one you see his suit getting torn you see the blood and the bruises and you see it it's like he you know he can barely move and it's maybe it's just i enjoyed toby Maguire's performance more but it just felt more like a th- of a threat these more. people are about to you know like he had the explosion go by go off near his face yeah you know and and all those and it just felt like there was more of a threat in that and then this it's like he just keeps on getting hit, 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 hit. Yeah. And it's, it's like little... it's like Captain America almost. Like, they could have the exact same powers for all I know. It's just because they never really establish, okay, how, if he gets... Now, maybe if, if you're, like, a comic book person, then maybe you know, but it's just me personally. I, yeah. It was a little well, underwhelming, that's, that's, you know. That's, uh, I guess you're, in a, in a way, you're right. It seems almost as if Spider-Man is Captain America and they've got the same powers, except Spider-Man can climb walls with his fingertips. That's, yeah. You know... But, um, yeah. Paul, did you have an issue with that? Uh, I suppose they don't show him getting beaten up, but they do show him fumbling and failing. Yeah. A lot of his attempts to foil people fail horribly. And so maybe it's that he's not necessarily in the, in the, zone to be damaged because he just can't even keep up his attempt to foil the uh, arms deal under the bridge doesn't work out his attempt to combat the vulture on the truck immediately fails practically yeah yeah so they they may not have him getting damaged but they do have him failing yeah that's true and I guess and um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'll. That's what I'll stick with for right cool. now. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's what I just wanted to to to. I wanted to corroborate. I mean, it just seems as though a lot of the the drama from the film is supposed to come with him becoming comfortable with his persona. Not necessarily the powers. He has the powers already, but but coming to grips with what it means to be a superhero and that there is going to be failure. Yeah. Uh, it's it's overcoming those instances of failure and still seeking to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, in a way, it fits in with some of the other stuff. That's why I guess they picked Tony Stark to be mentors because, well, Robert Downey Jr. and he's I'm getting really popular. tired of uh, Iron Man. Well, yeah. Uh, but... Um, because Tony Stark was always Mr. Arrogant, Mr. Cocky, which Peter Parker, I don't think, was ever quite as arrogant to the extent that that um, Tony Stark was. But uh, nonetheless, you know, young kid with these superpowers, obviously he's going to be a little uh, overconfident, and I think that's, that's, you know, Tony Stark has finally knocked down a few pegs in the Avengers film. And, um, and well, the both Avengers films. Yeah. And uh, in this instance, I think it's sort of Peter Parker paralleling what Tony's, not in the exact same fashion, but after, in, in, in a similar sort of way, um, being knocked down a few pegs 
understanding that having superpowers does not necessarily make you uh, infallible and coming to grips with that and that's that's what it means to be a superhero it's despite all the setbacks still seeking still attempting to to do that right thing yeah um well just talking specifically about the movie i mean what did y'all think of the performances overall were you a fan i like michael keaton that's I, about it but i like michael keaton i like tom holland i'll say it i like Mar- marissa tomei i wish oh, marissa yeah. tomei was doing more stuff she she's was, like no, she has like nothing in this movie but yeah which was sad because i like her her take on aunt may yeah um but she was absolutely amazing in the wrestler Oh and yeah! I really wish she would take on more, yeah, yeah, more dramatic roles. But hey, you know, um, uh, but this is—I um, I thought all around the performance was really good. I didn't like I the mean, love interest. The no, girl he was. Uh, no, I mean the girl he was crushing on. Not and not Liz. In Liz. De- yeah. wasn't crazy about Liz. No, no. really. No. Okay. <laughs> she has a weird face. Okay. <laughs> that is me. Well, she has. It's a. I'm just saying. I mean, no, but no, that's not like why I d- disliked it. Just I didn't think she was that that good. But anyways, um, yeah. Um, but oh, and why the why the fuck does Michael Cappuccino do every single score for like every blockbuster now? And I called him Cappuccino because it's Giacchino, but um, Michael Cappuccino. He he does like every like he's doing did all the. Star Trek, like all, like he just does every single blockbuster. Well, it's you know, you so old. My my counter my my counter argument to that mm. is it's not Danny fucking Elfman. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um, Batman get reviews. Get get uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Well, yeah, but that that works for <laughs> the that works for the David Fincher films. Yeah. I don't think yeah, that'll work you for. Be moody and atmospheric. You go. Reznor and Ross. Yeah, right. still. I don't think that would work for MCU. That uh, Reznor and Ross is a little too, yeah, dark and moody for for MCU. I think. Yeah, maybe. Um, hmm. I don't know. Um, as far as the cast, as far as I'm concerned, at least, I wouldn't say that there was really a misfire. There were maybe people that could have been utilized better. Donald Glover. Than... Exactly. Um, and, you know, maybe the first shocker, Herman Schultz, didn't need to be Logan Marshall Green. Uh, no. But overall, I'd say that everyone was cast really well, uh, from the teachers to the, you know, a principal to the principal cast. I think that it all worked out pretty well. I liked that Jennifer Connelly was the voice of Karen. Uh, hmm. So overall, I, I think that it worked out pretty well cast-wise. I wouldn't say that there was anyone's performance that was so distractingly below the bar yeah that it threw off the whole thing yeah um hmm um but yeah and but yeah the score is okay just another cappuccino score <laughs> um classic cappuccino um uh sh- uh sh- there's gonna be something else I was gonna mention Check your notes. You have copious. Oh, I have like four pages of notes here. Um, but I'm obviously not gonna read all this shit. But um, oh, this, this I mean, we were talking about this a little while ago. But cinematic universes are the worst thing. I don't care about what's coming after. Don't just want a self-contained movie. And that's every fucking studio. 
is doing this now and it is the worst thing you could ever do in Hollywood. It's it's dead. It's I'm I'm not gonna watch movies anymore. <laughs> I mean, I can understand understand that to a certain extent. When you go to see a film, you want at least some degree, some some degree of resolution to the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, there is something to be said. I think about epic epic film series. Now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is obviously on a scale that we haven't seen before. Uh, I'm just thinking about the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Right? And the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. They were not necessarily uh, cinematic universes where you had dozens of, of actual characters, standalone characters, running around rather than sort of a, 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 a group, uh, a clique, a coterie, a whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know. But, um, you know, you've multi-part film series it makes it feel more epic it makes it feel as though there is an ongoing story the Marvel Cinematic Universe I think has generally worked but yeah I can see how it's it's such it's so massive and it's so expansive and you go into any of these single films watching them with the expectation that there's going to be another five films after this that all tie into it and yeah, so you feel what I'm getting it's almost as though you feel obligated to go watch all this stuff which again generally I would go watch it anyways because they've done a very good job with yeah. all the films I, I mean I'm always curious about, I'm always interested in seeing them it's just that lately I've been a little underwhelmed and so but I mean I'm still I'll probably always be interested in seeing what yeah. they're gonna do with it well way. I mean I know you're not you weren't too keen on Doctor Strange but I really enjoyed it I, I thought Benedict Cumberbatch was good I thought oh, they did I a thought, good job of portraying uh, Doctor Strange's uh, um, sort of fall from grace and then his 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 inner turmoil dealing coping with this and every you know exhausting all of his pretty considerable resources in an effort to 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 retake some of the glory that he had had as a surgeon and um, I mean honestly the fight scenes in that yeah. were really spectacular. Yeah. The one in Hong Kong, I thought, was they did some very creative things in terms of, you know, the time manipulation aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just sort of a special effects banana bonanza, guys. You banana. Know, it's a special effects banana. Special effects banana. banana. <laughs> <laughs> special Go effects. see Spider-Man Homecoming. It is a special effects banana. Special effects banana, special effects pineapple. Yeah, whatever um, you like. Special effects tropical fruit all yeah. around. It's like yeah. a big special effects fruit salad just a big fruit but um <laughs> but rather than Doctor Strange just being a special effects bonanza uh it uses those effects I think in very creative ways mm-hmm. which again didn't see that with the Spider-Man film it was just sort of your your standard CG here he is flying through the air and doing some flips and then the vulture with his big suit and you know they fight a little bit and yeah nothing nothing new there nothing really creative mm-hmm. too much there um, and then, of course, the the again the the, the the Captain America Civil War, which was just you can see what the what action's going on, and they use their powers in not necessarily creative ways, but the fight sequences are so well planned, and you can see them, and there's actual you know fighting. People throw punches. Yeah. There are explosions. People kick each other. Um, so. It's it's much much better than than the stuff in Spider Man, but uh, again, I'm sort of drifting far afield. But the 
the expansive thing, I think it's interesting. I think so far, at least, you know, this they've done a fairly good job. Now, the problem is everybody else, DC in particular, wants to emulate this, has not done a very good job so far. Um, and now you've got Universal trying to do these monster movies, which, kicking off with The Mummy, they mm. really need to revisit it. Yeah, this, this is what they want to do. I'm excited for the, the Invisible Man with Johnny Depp, because I like Johnny Depp, but and I love the very Terrible. original... No, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm it's, it's, no, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best. Um, mm. uh, no, I'm sure it'll be garbage, but I'm still curious. Um, but yeah, it's just it's getting very tired, and I. And well, I mean, I'll bring up a friend of uh, I guess Paul's and mine, uh, a guy named Jacob Bowers, um, who's probably going to be on the show maybe next week. Um, told me when I posted my review on Letterboxd of Spider-Man: Homecoming, he commented. Uh, you're getting bitter with age because <laughs> I've been kind of lukewarm on these movies and I'm only 23 for listeners and you don't know so I'm not like I'm 75 here talking um, but and I, yeah, just for some reason lately I've just been getting I don't know a little underwhelmed usually not not, not all of them though so I love I loved Wonder Woman and I really like Logan so mm-hmm. I think the problem with cinematic universes is that not everything has to have one but they're trying to place everything into that. Exactly. There's now the talk yeah. of Bond getting one. There's the dark universe. So I think that the problem is they're trying to like go out and apply this principle to everything. I mean, before Sony co-opted with uh, Marvel, they were trying to launch the, the Spider-Man universe. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man as a single character doesn't really... Uh, lend itself to a cinematic universe. No. It's really Spider-Man. And that's why I'm also quite cautious about what Sony's already trying to do with the Venom movie and Black and White and Silver Sable and all of that. Yeah. It's It stretches your material thin. And I think that that's maybe some of the problem. And I know that with the MCU, the plan is for it to really change in dynamic after Avengers 4. So I guess we can sort of consider the MCU ending at 4, mm-hmm. as we know it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see what it's like after that. Whether or not I'll keep up with it as much, I don't know. But for me, that's sort of how I look at at least the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, oh, it's building towards something, you know, yeah. And uh, quick thing, did you like Wonder Woman? Oh, yeah, I actually really enjoyed Wonder Woman. Okay. My big problem with Wonder Woman uh, was the villain and that that final battle is nowhere near as enjoyable to watch as cinematic an experience as the No Man's Land scene. Oh, that was so good. I love yeah, that. So my big complaint is probably that the final battle with uh, Ares is a little bit... That felt like overwhelming. If, yeah, that yeah. felt like um, if Zach, that's like Zach Snyder came in and directed that bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Well, was, that it felt was like just, Batman v Superman. In that. Yeah, let's just digitally remove Superman from a few shots and re recode the Doomsday figure as Ares. Mm-hmm. Let's just yeah. roll with it. Well, I mean that's that's the big thing is that that No Man's Land scene again. It's it's there's action. There's, it's it's thrilling, and you see p- normal people, sort of normal-looking people doing spectacular things, And whereas that last scene is it's just a complete over-the-top, look, some gods fighting, and so they can throw things around with their minds, and it just, it just, 
takes it to this whole other level, which is not superhuman. That's that's godlike. That's not that's not a superhero. That's not superhuman. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a deity. Yeah. Yeah. Which which removes sort of the compelling danger aspect to it. It's it's yeah, you know, but look, God's duking it out. That's like on a whole other level. I can't associate to with that because I'm Calling not a down god. Lightning shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I it just it just sort of yeah that final scene really sort of took me. It didn't ruin the film, but it definitely took me sort of out of the moment. Took me out of the film a little bit. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, God, we talk a lot, a lot about that movie. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, it was it was um, a great film, and I think it's it's definitely left a mark because it's the first film out of the DC sort of response to the MCU uh, or attempt to emulate the MCU that has yeah. actually worked because everything else has been so painfully bad. Disagree. Yeah, disagree. What? I don't think it's as bad as people say. It's not, I'm not it saying they're pretty bad. I'm not saying it's they're. I'm, I'm not saying they're brilliant, but it's the like first uh, weak, like weak writing, not just an overabundance of stuff going on. Um, n- very bad visual stuff. That's it's exactly what I felt about most Marvel movies. Not not most, I shouldn't say, but. Anyways, sorry. The, well, the only thing I was gonna say is this, the Superman Man of Steel was not. Awful. No, it's watchable. It's watchable. Except for that last thirty minutes. Yeah. 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 Um. But then again, again, you have to remember that's that's the point. Is is again, all of a sudden, Superman is fighting other Kryptonians, and it's it's as though gods are fighting. Yeah. So again, it's not it's not a superhero. It's not a superhuman. These these are gods. These are for all intents and purposes gods. Um, and so again, that it loses some of the, the the human appeal to it, which is what sort of kills these action sequences for me. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the first the, the Superman Man of Steel is actually watchable. It's okay. It's enjoyable. It's not spectacular. But then you know, Suicide Squad, which is not necessarily part of their cinematic, the DC cinematic universe, but it was horrendously, painfully. Disagree. Dumpster fire bad. Disagree. Besides, yeah. I, I didn't like the villain. All the villain stuff is terrible, but I liked... I, I mean, not, I didn't love it, but I just like a decent amount of that stuff. I liked some of the characters. thought they were interesting. like some of the performances. Uh, uh, Paul, you absolutely fucking hate Jared Leto. I enjoyed yes, him. Yes, I do. Um, enjoyed him. I enjoyed Margot Robbie, and I liked some of the dynamics with that. Um, but, yeah, I know. I know they're not these uh, brilliant movies, and they're well, definitely... I mean, better Marvel movies than those, but... And, I mean, the other thing is Batman v Superman was such a, 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 an awful slog. Mm, it was just such a out. depressing, grim, painful, awful slog. I like depressing, grim things. Well, depressing <laughs> and grim is fine, but but in, 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 I don't know if it has a place in, 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 in comic book movies, or at least to the extent. I think Wonder Woman does a good job. It's, it seems a little more grim than the Marvel stuff, but it doesn't seem so grim as to be oppressively stiflingly you know horrible you know so uh, that's what I like so much about the Wonder Woman thing is it is it it is its own direction it's not trying to be a carbon copy of what Marvel has done 
but it, it, it sort of veers away from the whole Zack Snyder uh, sort of ultra grim um, um, tones. What's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know, but I don't know. Fuck it. But anyhow, Wonder Woman I think is is its own th- it's it, its own thing. It sort of forges its own path, and it has I think does a very good job of that, rather than and being a carbon copy of the Marvel stuff or being trapped in the Zack Snyder grim, super dark uh, sort of uh, world. Yeah. So. Um, getting back to Homecoming and finales also, actually, one thing that I will say is that Homecoming does pull a similar thing that I quite enjoyed uh, from the first Spider-Man and also to an extent the second one where it's a big fight that ultimately leads to a small more intimate moment so you know you have the plane sequence but the real finale of the film for me at least happens on the beach where it's him maskless with the vulture and ultimately the villain's own hubris almost does them in again and so that's what happened at the end of Spider-Man with Green Goblin it's ultimately what kind of happened to a degree with with Doc Ock and Spider-Man 2. So I liked that that was sort of our big final moment. It wasn't some sort of giant swinging kick or spinning a manhole cover at a giant CG robot rhino. It was... I love Paul Giamatti in that. Yeah, talk about criminal misuse of people. Paul Giamatti, come on. Uh, Let's just have Paul Giamatti shout. I'm not even sure if he said words. Yeah, he's like, ha, 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 ha. In a Russian accent. Spider-Man. Yeah. And, uh, so I liked that it came down to, like, a more intimate moment where, you know, Peter was still ultimately trying to do the right thing. And I think that that's one thing that maybe DC should learn is how to pare down their finales to yeah. more intimate moments. I'm sure all the listeners who uh, have no interest in Spider-Man are loving this conversation. Um, and so you're welcome. Um, but any uh, any final thoughts about Homecoming? Either of you? Paul? Um, go and see it. It's good. I want it to do well. Uh, oh, it is. Tom Holland's fantastic. So... I think it's definitely at least worth the watch, even if you're not necessarily a fan of some of the MCU stuff. I'd say that it's worth the watch. It is very different than both Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man. They both, they all three come at the character from very, very different places. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could end up having something really, really, really remarkable that's very long-lasting in this new iteration of Spider-Man. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm definitely curious to uh, rewatch it. Um, like, cause I mean, I feel like I could end up really liking it. I just maybe wasn't in the right um, mindset or headset or anything. Um, pun intended since we're wearing, wearing headsets. Um, um, all right. Uh, Brayden, any last things? No, I mean, I, I, again, it's another, I think, watch-worthy, theater-worthy 
don't just wait for it to come out on on Netflix or or Blu-ray. Actually, go and watch it in the theater. It is actually worth watching. And I I did like the action sequence on the Washington Monument. I thought that oh, was yeah. actually that pretty was cool. good. Yeah. Um, and I I enjoyed the action sequence on the ferry, the Staten Island ferry. Uh, the final fight sequence with Vulture, not so much, but uh, but the previous action scenes I thought were actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I do enjoy Tom Holland, um, I, and uh, I think overall they do a good job of tying it into everything. And I like I appreciate the fact that Tony Stark was there. Um, in a minor, in a minor, relatively minor capacity, he was important. But it wasn't, you know, every five minutes, hey, Robert Downey Jr.'s back. Yeah. Hey, I, Robert I, I, Downey I'm Jr.'s back. very happy about that as well. Uh, so they used him, I think, in a, in, a, in a good way. And so, again, hinted that Spider-Man is part of this larger universe, but, but they kept the focus on Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And so um, I think, I, and I think a lot of the sort of drop-offs or inconsistencies probably have to do with the writing. And it's, I think the the dialogue actually itself was good. It's just I'm talking about having so many teams of people. And if it was, as you pointed out, rewrites versus revisions. And if it was revisions, those inconsistencies, it's, it's not because the writing is bad. It's because you have too many people sort of chopping up and splicing together the script again. So ultimately, I'm sorry, I don't mean to... I have a tendency to babble. I, I apologize, but ultimately, I think it's a good film. It's worth a watch. Go see it in the theater. It is definitely enjoyable, and I really enjoy the performances. Uh, Michael Keaton, awesome. Uh, Tom Holland, very good. Marissa Tomei, always really good. And I think the the rest of the cast of the characters is a young fellow, Jacob something, who plays Ned. He's a lot of fun. Um, and Tony Revolori, I just like him because Grand Budapest. Oh, so. I liked him in that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, Paul, what are you going to give this out of four stars? Uh, God, I hate out of four. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, might, we might change it, but... Out of four, I guess I'd give it a three and a half to a three seven five. All right, all right. Maybe a four, I don't know. Yeah. We'll say... Yeah. 3.5 to 3.75. All right. Uh, Brayden? I'd give it a 3. I'd give it a 3. I'll go 2. Yeah. Um, Figured you might. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, hopefully you enjoyed that a lot. Um, it's a, just a fascinating discussion. Yeah. Um, uh, and all right. So I guess we'll jump into our retro review of uh, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. And we've got a clip. Let's take a listen. Let me tell you about this guy I know, Jack. Mean kid, bad seed, hurt people. I like him already. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the problem was he got sloppy, you know, crazy. He started to lose it. He had a head full of bad wiring, I guess. Couldn't keep it straight up here. He was the kind of guy who... Near the train till it was two feet from. Him. You know what happened to this guy, Jack? Wow. Made mistakes. 
get us. So, uh, Batman is directed by Tim Burton, stars Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Kim Basinger, uh, anyone else worth mentioning? Jack Palance. Okay, Jack Palance. Um, Jack Palance is in it? I don't, I don't even know who that is, so I'm not sure. He was an old actor, he had a bit of a career renaissance later in life. Oh. I forget why, the famous thing he did is he got up on stage during one of the Oscars and did a bunch of push-ups. <laughs> yeah, he was he was in his eighties, I hear, or something at the time. Nice, so. nice. Um, oh yeah, but um, and uh, the IMDb plot synopsis is: The Dark Knight of Gotham City begins his war on crime with his first major enemy being the clownishly homicidal Joker. Um, all right, so um, Braden, I guess you should go first since we had a discussion about this the other day, um, and you you said that. Probably of the original, I guess of the first, or not the first, but the um, those main four from the eighties and nineties, Batman Forever was your favorite. Yeah, and which is kind of the opposite of a lot of other people. Most people, like myself, think the first two are pretty good. Third one, eh. Fourth one, not good. Yeah. Um, but well, it, I think it, it's universally agreed that the fourth one is just awful. Ah, <laughs> uh, Alicia Silverstone, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Chris O'Donnell, what the hell? Uh, biker <laughs> gangs, biker gangs, neon paint. I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just so utterly preposterous. Uh, I feel, I feel frankly sorry for George Clooney being thrown into that whole mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to, to say here, uh, uh, Michael Keaton, I, I, you know, check IMDb. His next role upcoming is, is, uh, he's what, Captain Audubon? He's going to be Captain Audubon in, in the film Captain Audubon. I have no idea. The Audubon Society. I have no idea what and that is. And then he's doing a reboot of the Silverhawks. I've not heard any of this. <laughs> that sounds... Um, it's what, all a joke, of course. Yeah. Uh, because he was he was the Batman. And then when he revived his career, it was doing the film Birdman. Uh, right? Uh, <laughs> Which was sort of a spoof on his having played Batman in... in the Tim Burton film, well, those first two films, which Burton directed both of them, correct? Yeah, yeah. first two. And then now he's playing the Vulture. So apparently, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's all. I don't. I hope Michael Keaton is sort of laughing all the way to the bank with this. I bet he is. But uh, it's just. It's just funny. I don't. You know, a lot of his big career defining things have been uh, birds. He's playing, he's playing a lot of birds, a lot of avian creatures. Uh, it's no, no, it's just it's just funny. So he goes from Batman to the Birdman film, which was brilliant, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite films from the past few years. Oh wow! Um, and uh, and then on to the Vulture and Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, yeah, in terms of the original film, I don't like Tim Burton to begin with. Oh, yeah, that's right. You hate Tim Burton. Put that out there. I, I like really, really despise Tim Burton. Um, oh, boy. Uh, Big Eyes was watchable. Not not spectacular, but watchable. I thought it was, you know, pretty good. Um, I like, I love uh, Frank and Weenie. I didn't, I haven't seen Frank and oh, Weenie. Oh, you should. So, so oh, people yeah. will, will hate me for that. You should. But, um, 
I probably should. I mean, some of this stuff is is a little charming. I Corpse Bride was a mm. the stuff that he does for kids is always a little too creepy for me. Um, but uh, uh, well, I'm trying to. Sorry, I'm trying to think of. I mean, okay, I enjoyed Beetlejuice. Everybody enjoyed Beetlejuice. I grew up in the '80s, mm-hmm. and so Beetlejuice was 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 fine. But but I love Ed Wood. Um, That's my favorite. Ed Wood is good. And, and that's, that's Well, that's the interesting thing is most of the stuff where he steers away from the supernatural, like Big Eyes, I thought was a decent film. Yeah. And Ed Wood was actually a pretty good film. But all of his other stuff, Sweeney Todd, no thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I Edward love Scissorhands, Todd. couldn't stand it. Huh. Um, and Corpse Bride, little too, little too creepy. Couldn't it stand Edward Scissorhands? No, couldn't Did, like it. Oh Johnny, Johnny, I'm, I'm, unlike you, I'm not a big Johnny Depp fan. Oh, jeez. And Tim Burton, I, you know, I did, did, did not, not my, not my thing. He's not my jam. What about you, Paul? I think you're kind of in the middle of us too. So, yeah, you know, I don't love everything that Burton does. I think that lately he's been more miss than hit. Yeah, uh, definitely. dark shadows. I didn't see Miss Peregrine's, but people had sort of a mixed reaction to. Not, yeah, that's right. It's not great. Oh, and the Alice in Wonderland films that he did for Disney oh, yeah, were yeah, yeah. pretty mm. bleh. <laughs> uh, my favorite of his is Big Fish. Oh yeah, good one. Um, you get great performances. You get a great, very fanciful story from it. So that's probably my favorite Burton film uh, mm. overall. And in respects to his Batman films, my favorite's actually. Batman Returns, probably followed by Batman, and then this is where it gets a little controversial for most people in terms of my Batman opinions. I prefer Batman and Robin over Batman Forever just because I find Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones completely unwatchable in Batman (laughs) Forever. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. So, and at least, like, I can pop open a few beers and have a really, really good time watching Batman and Robin. That's fair. Uh, and that's just a personal preference. I know yeah. that, you know, well, I've, it's not a great film. I've just always liked Val Kilmer. I, I'm sorry, I'll just throw that out there. I like Val Kilmer. I liked Nicole Kidman. Um, yeah, Jim Carrey is a little over the top. Uh, but he has fun. He has fun with the role. Uh, and then what more do you what more do you want from somebody playing a character called the Riddler? Yeah. <laughs> so how right you are. Um, uh, sound reasoning. It's it's is it a masterful piece of cinema? No, I think I think honestly the first uh, Batman film was probably technically in better in terms of in terms of the writing the direction the effects all that kind of thing i think it was better from a technical point of view however uh val kilmer playing bruce wayne slash batman i thought he was very good he 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 wasn't so over the top hammy uh nicole kidman spectacular actress i mean particularly the stuff she's done in the past 10 years yeah is she was really good in the in the beguiled that just came out. Yeah, so she was good in that. I really enjoyed her in Lion. Not my favorite film, but I liked her in it. Same. And then uh, what was the other one she did? Rabbit, Rabbit Hole. I didn't, I haven't seen anything called Rabbit Hole. Uh, this film, they lose their child. I forget it came out a while ago, but she was good in that. I mean, she's done some really spectacular stuff. Um, but Val Kilmer, 
Nicole Kidman, the chemistry between the two of them, I think is very good. I really enjoyed um, uh, Michael Keaton as Batman. I think he was good, but I still think Val, for, for my money, Val Kilmer was, was the best in that original four-part whatever fiasco, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but whatever um, that was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm a little standalone in, in, in stand out in that fashion because uh, I wasn't gaga over the Burton films, uh, despite all the, the technical prowess apparent in them. And, um, you know, I, I liked the, uh, I liked Nicole Kidman as Chase Meridian and I liked Val Kilmer as, as Batman. And that's largely why I, I like that one more. And again, Jim Carrey, I thought had fun with that role. Yeah. Um, oh, well, there's no doubt that he had fun. It yeah. just depends on if the audience is having fun. Well. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Fair enough. Good yeah. point. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't mind him that much, really. So, I am guess I'm kind of in the middle of you two. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, it's still, I still like the Dark Knight trilogy. Christopher Nolan's. Oh, well, I mean, that's, much, that's like. Oh, you know, I know. But I'm, I'm just saying it just, because I, I know. Um, comparing apples and giant steam piles of, of donkey shit. I mean. <laughs> It's not even apples and oranges. It's uh, apples and oranges to fruits. This is like well, a piece Paul, of juicy, tasty fruit and donkey shit. Well, you Paul, you, Paul, you chime in here. I, I mean, h- how does the Dark Knight trilogy compare to all of the other ones for you? Well, I mean, you can't even really compare the last two. Right? No. I mean, if you were going to compare anything to the Dark Knight trilogy, you'd probably be better off comparing the first two. And I, I think that they're kind of two different modes of Batman. Uh, the Burton ones are much more comic booky. The mm-hmm. Gotham that is this very gothic, stylized city. The villains that are much more colorful, much more outlandish. Whereas Nolan himself said that you know one of his big influences was the Batman Year One comic, which is a very pared down Batman story. It's not as outlandish. The Gotham that you're in is more of just a city. So I think that when you're comparing them, uh, you're looking at two very different modes of Batman. One of them being like the classic detective comics sort of feel. Less campy than the Adam West Batman, but, you know, more campy than something like Batman from, uh, from Christopher Nolan. So it's sort of functioning in those two different worlds of Batman. Yeah. Um... But actually, we haven't even talked about the movie yet. But um, so I mean, I do like the first one, the um, nineteen eighty nine one. Um, I like Jack Nicholson. I mean, I still prefer Heath Ledger as the Joker, but I, I think well, I enjoy. It, yeah, I still enjoy Jack Nicholson quite a lot. I look the really like the look of Gotham. I think Tim Burton creates a really interesting just visual style of Gotham, whereas compared to some of the others, even especially the Christopher Nolan ones, you know, where it's it's just a city. But in this one, it really feels like you're in a, a comic book type world. Um, and I just, like even that shot near the beginning where you first meet the Wayne family, it looks that kind of foggy, you know, dreary city. It looks really cool. Um, and I mean, I'm not cr- crazy about Michael Keaton. I mean, I think I, he makes a better Bruce Wayne than Batman for me. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a cool movie. I, I really like Batman Returns because of Catwoman and I really like the Penguin as well and so I yeah. I mean they're t- about on the same level for me but 
maybe Batman Returns a little bit more, you know. Um, I don't know, Paul, what were uh, some thoughts for you? About- uh, in respects to the original Batman movie, some elements of it haven't aged quite as well, I'd say. I think that maybe it does come across as a little bit uh, overly long, just a smidge. Yeah, it's and, a little long. Um, overall, I think, though, the film really, really works. I think that Jack Nicholson found a very unsettling performance in there while still maintaining that sort of high-energy manicness. He was fantastic casting. Keaton is actually either my favorite or my second favorite Batman. Hmm. My top two are actually he and Ben Affleck, um, with Christian Bale coming in in, in third, if we're just talking about live-action ones. Yeah. Because um, if we get animated, then we're going to be talking about Kevin Conroy and Will Arnett, and that's just a whole rabbit hole. We won't. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, Not today. Ultimately, I really like it though, and I like the I like the Danny Elfman score. You know, it's a very iconic sound for Batman. It's yeah. What they used in the animated series, and I even like the Prince stuff. Party Man, uh, or not Party Man, but um, the one that they play when Jack Nicholson goes into the art gallery. Oh yeah, I don't know what it is, and but I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite scenes. I really enjoy that scene because it's it's so outlandish and jokery that I really, really enjoy it. And as far as Keaton as Batman, I think that he found a good balance of brooding when he's alone, playboy when he's in public, and stern when he's Batman. Mm-hmm. And I think that you you start to really feel for Bruce more so than you do for other iterations of Bruce Wayne. And I think that he tapped into that element of the character really, really well. And it's also one of the reasons I like Return so much is the dynamic of Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, same here. So that's sort of my thoughts on on the first Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Hmm, yeah, I mean, I, um, I yeah, visually I like it. I, yeah, but that's kind of you're talking about the score, opening credits, good good opening credits and it's kind of like Danny Elfman at his prime in terms of score you know that's kind of around the time that he was doing a lot of I mean since a lot of his work up until maybe Planet of the Apes or no he didn't he did he do the score for the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes you know that anyone 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 I had I can look it up until you brought up I had finally completely blocked that film from my memory (laughs) and now it, it will be a blot a stain yeah in my memory again several years to come um but i mean because around that time he was doing burton was doing some of his better movies and elfman was kind of going hand in hand whereas both now have kind of dropped off like elfman is just doing very not bad scores but they're just very generic for the most part well that's that's why i'm not particularly an elfman fan is so much of his music has very similar sound to it at all sort of you know um I, you know and I think about all the people out there that are doing really spectacular scores uh Reznor and Ross right and, they're so uh, good who is it Johnny Johnny Greenwoody yeah guitarist uh, Johnny from Radio Greenwood Red, for, uh, who's doing all the stuff with uh PTA. Paul Thomas Anderson yeah and um I mean Elfman you know what he has done for musical scores in the film industry 
that's unquestionable. It's just it's just a matter of personal taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I find a lot of stuff to be a little too bouncy, overbearing, kind of. But hmm. um, but I will admit, you know, what he did uh, with a lot of the Burton films and the pairing, I think, laid the groundwork for a lot of the current pairings that I oh, do, definitely, yeah. do enjoy. Um, so, uh, and no fair bringing Prince into it because Prince is just. I mean, he's iconic. Yeah. He's awesome. Everything he did was R.I.P. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those, uh, the the first Burton films, particularly with the Prince scores, I mean, it it wasn't, all I can think of is uh, the later films, what was it, Batman and Robin, where you had the Smashing Pumpkins and all that stuff, and it was just, (laughs) oh, awful. Awful. Those soundtracks were just so bad. Yeah, and that's what, something the amazing amazing spider-man movies aren't good at either is they have really like they pick like top 20 radio songs oh, the music in this was terrible yeah so terrible. clearly did not learn yeah and I who mean, did the score on the first uh three spider-man films danny elfman and i love those scores yeah well the scores for me are you're you're right yeah the for he did the the score for the first three like, Spider-Man. and like the, the opening credit ones are awesome but i'm i mean in terms of the amazing spider-man ones that those are always very forgettable, and that's where I'm the sound bad soundtracks. But in the first trilogy, I, I, the I mean now the end credit songs are not good. That's like Dashboard Confessional, yeah, and Nickelback and all oh, that shit. Horrible, so yeah, horrible. but um, I really do like the scores for that. And so I mean, yeah, I mean Danny Elfman. I wish he would kind of get back into it. Although I, his score for Frank and Weenie was pretty good. So yeah, yeah. Um. And, you know, it's maybe more that he did a great theme for Batman. I'm not sure if I really recall much of the score beyond the Batman theme right? in those Batman films. Uh, but he did do one hell of a score. For, he did do one hell of a theme for them. I mean, they still use that, I think, for the Lego Batman games. Oh, really? Hmm. So he really did make a, a distinct imprint. And I think that you look at those Batman films and I think that they are at least partially the reason that we are where we are now in terms of comic book movies. So there is a real legacy there. They gave a lot of legitimacy to the genre, especially when, you know, our old version was Adam West in the suit with the the red and black car and the, the phone directly to the mayor. And even though I love the Adam West Batman material uh it needed to sort of grow up and i do think that tim burton found a way to grow it up yeah uh especially in that one because i mean people do die you even have batman i mean he definitely probably killed at least a few people when he dropped that bomb yeah. in that factory <laughs> probably. so they matured it up a little bit while still keeping it very comic book feeling and keeping it bright and fresh and the weakest part of that film for me is probably Kim Basinger. Mm. Looks or nice, maybe that guy that she hangs out with, the photographer, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't like him. Do not. They say he can't be stopped. They yeah. say he can't be caught. Yeah, it's what just... What the hell is yeah, that yeah. delivery? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is that delivery, man? <laughs> Come on. Um, but, yeah, I'm, Kim Basinger looks nice, though. Well, I mean, not she's pleasing to the eyes, but um, yeah, I mean, I, she's not amazing in the movie. Um, 
trying to think of what else. Um, but oh yeah, because I really do like Batman, so I'm always kind of have a soft spot for Batman. Um, I mean, definitely the Dark Knight trilogy is my favorite. Um, and then even Batman v Superman. I mean, it's not not that's not a favorite of mine, but I really like Ben Affleck. He's he's quite good. A lot, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I am curious about the solo movie. Batman solo movie with him, although that's been having issues already, too. Well, I thought so. he had dropped out of that project. He, he did, and so the, the guy who's doing Matt Reeves, who's doing War for the Planet of the Apes and Dawn, is directing solo Batman. Really? Yeah. Who do they have actually playing Batman than Bruce Wayne Batman? But ben Affleck. So it's still oh, he's, Ben Affleck. He, so he's not, he, he dropped the writing and directing? Or at least the directing. Or the directing, okay. Apparently there was, there's been, like, script rewrites and all that shit, so I don't know. Huh. But, yeah, so... But Matt Reeves, I'm down for that, for sure. Because um, he's done awesome work with the Planet of the Apes yeah, franchise. So, And did, now, he did Cloverfield, right? Did he? Paul? Yes. I think so. I, I think he did. Okay, yeah. Because that was not actually, you know... Half bad. Ha- half bad. I'm not a huge fan of the found footage type films. Me neither. But uh, Cloverfield, I thought, using some, a somewhat sort of staid format in this whole found footage thing, I thought it was... It still did a pretty good job of building tension. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't 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 spectacular, but I thought it was it was decent. It was worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to see the second one. I've heard the second one is really spectacular. Of which one? It's Cloverfield. Oh, uh, oh yeah, oh ten Cloverfield. Ten Cloverfield. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. With uh, the one John Goodman. Yeah, that's and, a it's good. Yeah. yeah, good thriller. Yeah. Uh, I just like John Goodman. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's a different premise as well. Yeah. And th- so. that, that if it's a, you can call it a franchise because there's only been two, but yeah. that's something I would be curious about if they just keep, well, I guess there's a new one coming out this year, I think. Like, uh, it, yeah, I, yeah. I see, I've seen a few things on YouTube, not actually watched the videos, but I've seen, you know, YouTube keeps recommending videos for me about, I guess, another Cloverfield, which is supposed to be coming out later this year. Yeah, but then now it's not a Cloverfield movie, now it is, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so. But what, there's, Sort of doing is uh, they're creating a network of films that are related but not direct sequels to each other. So you had Cloverfield, then you have Ten Cloverfield. The new one, if I'm not mistaken, was called God Particle, but the yeah. title of that might have changed now. Mm-hmm. Um, Cloverfield Particle. Who knows what they're going to call it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're sort of doing an interconnected network of. Films that I guess will have different styles and different tones, which is interesting. It's almost like an anthology film franchise. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. kind of cool. Which, I appreciate that because it's it's not another cinematic universe. That's a cinematic or universe or a type of cinematic universe I'd be okay with. Yeah, just anthology. Do everything separate. That's what I would like. Yeah. But so I am curious about how they handle that. Um, and I trust J.J. Abrams for the most part. So for the most part, yeah. Not always. Not always. Can't always trust that but, guy. But he hasn't done any major, major stinkers yet. So. No. Um, Paul, do you have something? Uh, getting back on um, Batman and Burton, I think, you know, the reason he did lend himself so well to Batman is because he does go for that gothic, fantastical, elongated, you know, um, visual field sort of uh, thing. Mm -hmm. 
to where it all feels very otherworld, but still familiar enough. And so, like, you look at the, the Batman films that he did, and they're kind of without time or place. Mm-hmm. They're modern, but the aesthetic of them is also kind of older. Uh, not in terms just of uh, the costuming in the city itself, but also, like, the cars that they're driving. So those films, I'd say, have a certain timelessness where you can't quite place where they are, and that allows them to sort of work wherever. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, it feels very otherworldly, but still, again, familiar enough that you can tap into it and you can see it. And then when it does have its modern influences, you know, it still works for the film as a whole. For sure. And I think that that, that film series, especially the first two, did give us a lot of really iconic visuals that at least have, you know, sort of stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. Joker at the in the street in the crater with the the laughter happening and oh, the yeah. crowd gathered around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Michael Keaton with the glasses and the turtleneck in the bat cave looking at the at the bat computer. So I think that they did give us a lot that I'm sure that even if we, you know, analyzed hard enough you could see that lineage into the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Because um, really it's sort of a progression of getting like darker and darker, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. have like Adam West and then you have Burton and then you have uh, Nolan. Yeah. And so it's sort of this progression into darker places, darker ideals. Um, then you have Batman v Superman where it's like, just kill me. <laughs> He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's so sad. Uh, yeah. Agreed. And so I, I think that a lot of the film works more than doesn't work. Again, the, the things that probably don't work for it are Vicky Vale, yeah. that one journalist character, the fact that it's maybe a little bit too long. Um, and that's maybe more of an odd, a modern audience preference issue, right? You know, mm. that's at the time, it was probably a little bit less of an issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that you you have enough there that if someone were to, at one point in a college classroom, do a big, sort of like a Jeff Adams approach, right? Mm-hmm. Where you do like a, a breakdown of a specific topic. If someone did a whole breakdown on the comic book movie genre in a classroom setting, uh, it would definitely carve out its place in the discussion. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's that's what I wanted to point out is is um, I think the Burton films showed that you could take a comic book property, turn it into a film, and have it succeed, have it actually be a, a massive, profitable, relatively critically acclaimed uh, venture. And so comic book films at that point Tim Burton sort of took comic book films from being purely children's, fanciful, goofy children's uh, children's features into being actual mainstream, everybody goes, you know, even adults can go and watch this. Mm-hmm. And so it laid the groundwork, I think, for what we're seeing now with the MCU and with DC's, finally, with Wonder Woman, DC's, fi- you know, finally beginning to take off with this, but um, if it weren't for what Burton did with those those original Batman, Batman and Batman Forever, or what was it, Batman, Batman Returns, 
the two those two Burton films, we wouldn't see nearly as much as we do now with with the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because you had those Burton films, and then there was that what two decade uh, stretch in which. Well, no, not quite two decades. However much time between the Burton films and then the Nolan films. It's, where it's the like 2005 Knight. or something? Yeah. Maybe for Batman Begins, so I'm not, but I'm not sure exactly. So maybe 15 years or something? I, I, the, Ish, the, yeah. the, the chronology, I'm, I'm sort of a little yeah. fuzzy Sorry, on. listeners. But, but um, there was that stretch of time when nobody had been able to capitalize it on the way that Burton had. But again, if it weren't for Burton, then comic book properties would have just return to being uh, sort of goofy children uh, children's audience uh, children oriented films rather than being large uh, big budget um, blockbuster you know the draws that they I mean Avengers is still one of, one of the highest grossing films ever released right yeah, yeah. It was like one and a half billion, it, I think. Yeah, it's it, it finally. I what it beat out Avatar, didn't it? No, Avatar still. Avatar it's still. Like, it's like two point seven billion. Yeah, Avatar's way up there still. Oh okay. Well, I think it's Avatar, Titanic, and then Force Awakens. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, Force Awakens was like two billion. So where where's Avatar Avengers in that list now? It's like one and a half. It's, so it's, uh, it's at one and a half. It's somewhere more around like Furious Seven. And I think maybe... No, Skyfall just cracked a billion. Yeah. Okay. It's middle of the pack. And then Iron Man 3 was at one and a half, too, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's near one and a half. That's yeah. surprising. Civil War's like one, two. Because I still think that Iron Man 3 was the weakest of the... That's the my favorite of the, of the three. <laughs> Sorry. We'll, have to have, so we'll save that for another day. Well, that'll be another discussion. Yeah. Um... I would like to be a part of that discussion. <laughs> oh, you're there. You're there. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I admit, um, you know, I, I'm not a huge Tim Burton fan, but what he has done for the film industry, and particularly in terms of comic book films with his, his Batman films, um, he, he laid the groundwork. None of these films, particularly the Marvel films, would not be possible if Tim Burton had not been able to convert comic book properties from sort of uh, joke children's properties into actual uh, blockbuster films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also almost had like a much different Batman film. You know, there's always the legend that, you know, Bill Murray was apparently the first pick for Bruce Wayne. Oh, John God. Lithgow was apparently our first pick for Joker. Awful. Interesting. So... I love John I love John Lithgow, but Joker, no. Uh, so it could have ended up being this very radically different thing. And maybe sort of like Iron Man, you know, it was the right elements at the right time in the right way. Yeah. That it just sort of lit a flame and was able to build off of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know if I have too much else to say about Batman. Uh, Brayden, anything? No, I mean it was. I remember watching it as a, as a kid, as I guess as a wee teenager, lad. as a wee lad, and um, yeah, I mean it was enjoyable. I, I liked the films. I mean, I I don't utterly. I don't know if I said I hate Tim Burton before, but I don't. Oh, I don't oh, utterly hate four or five times. Yeah, I don't. I don't utterly hate Tim Burton. I mean, perhaps saying you know oh, he's horrible. 
Um, I think he's done some good films, and I think he's done a lot for the film for the film industry, particularly with opening it up into more sort of esoteric uh, aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think his his Batman films. I enjoyed watching them as, as a wee lad, and what they have done for comic book properties as films has been um, immensely important. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I, agree. Uh, I, ha- I do have to give a tip of the hat to Tim Burton for, for what he did with those Batman films, because they're, they're not bad, and more importantly, they opened up uh, the opportunity for Marvel to eventually come into that, and hopefully Thank DC... God. Yeah, thank God. God. And hopefully... So happy they're here. DC will... Uh, <laughs> hopefully DC will be able to capitalize on what it's done with Wonder Woman and and their properties continue to get better. Yeah. But, um, again, if not for Tim Burton, none of that would be possible. Yeah. Uh, Paul, any last things before we wrap up? Thing? Um, you know, I, I saw... Batman and Robin in theaters when I was four or five. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, I remember the Pop-Tarts that were, you know, themed and everything. And so from Batman and Robin, I then went backwards and, you know, and, and came forward. And I'll always remember being freaked out by uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker, you know, with that frozen-in-place yeah. smile and that mm-hmm. manic Jack Nicholson energy. Yeah. Um, and it really, it really is a, a benchmark, uh, for the comic book film and even for Batman on screen. And if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you would be a listener of this podcast. What's but the point of living? Missed out on <laughs> Batman. Um, go back and, and if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. And if it's been a while, give it another watch. Maybe you'll like it even more. Yeah. And if you, if you have listened to this podcast, you've made it this far, more power to you. <laughs> so we appreciate it. Um, yes. Yeah, that's about it. I have, or all I got, I think. Um, all right. Uh, Braden, what are you going to give this out of four stars? Uh, the Batman? Yeah. Um, I'd give it two and a half. Um, it's watchable. It's fun. Is it? Is it spectacular? No, and again, in terms of an actual film, not my favorite, but if I were to, to give it stars in terms of its impact on the film industry overall, I'd give it, you know, probably three and a half or something. Mm-hmm. So It's a film. Um, yeah. That's what you got to say about it. It's a film. It's a film. <laughs> it's a movie. Go watch movie. I don't, you know. No, I, I, it's, it's fun. I'd give the film itself as a standalone go watch in a theater i'd give it a two two and a half paul yeah i'd say two and a half um two and a half is good i guess i'll go like three maybe just because i like tim burton um yeah so um all right well let's uh get into our some roundtable discussions with all that done um all right uh so what was all that preceding this then uh that was just um, you know, that, that was the preamble. That was oh, the, okay, okay. Now we're getting into the now, meat, meat of the sun. Now the podcast is starting. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, for listeners out there who are enjoying it. Um, so, if anyone is still listening, I'd be <laughs> Yeah, I wish there was a way that we could figure out how, like, 
someone starts it and when they stop. Because, <laughs> like, I have people who are like, oh, yeah, I listened to the first few minutes. I'm like, okay. Did but... you listen to the other hour 55? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right. So uh, the first thing, um, uh, one thing, I guess, since, Paul, you're a pretty big Bond fan, there's just, over the last few days, there's been rumors about Daniel Craig coming back for Bond 25 or the 25th Bond movie. Um, and there's been, like, the rumors over the last year or so, but now it seems like he actually might be. Um, and, Paul, are you a fan of Daniel Craig? Would you want him to come back? Or um, I've got a lot of mixed feelings, not on Daniel Craig, but on where Bond is currently. Just because Casino, Quantum, and Skyfall make this really, really fantastic origin story prequel trilogy, right? Yeah. And a part of me thinks you could almost stop right there and then start watching Dr. No. Mm -hmm. And it would almost be like, you know, you were going in this really fantastic cyclical journey with Bond. Mm -hmm. And Spectre shit the bed so royally. Absolutely, yes. Thank you. It was like, it was a Roger Moore Bond movie with Mm -hmm. Daniel Craig. Yeah. And none of the fun. So, um, I want him to come back but they'd have to really they have to re-earn my trust yeah hmm. um yeah well apparently there was that the rumor a few months ago where they had offered him like 99 million to do two more <laughs> right it was like it was it was like 97 98 ish sony had i think um to do two more movies and then he also had said jokingly i'd rather slip my wrists than do another bond movie um, although I think he's kind of apologized for saying that, but, and so I think if he does come back, it's going to be a little weird because we've had all of this stuff beforehand where it seems like he's not interested and they're having to offer him a ton of money to do it. And it just seemed like he wouldn't be invested because even inspector, he didn't seem that invested. And so I don't know how I'd feel, although I lo- he's probably my favorite, uh, bond. So, yeah, I'm there with you. Honestly, I mean, Sean Connery set the tone for the whole thing, but I think Daniel Craig is spectacular. He brings uh, a technical acting verve mm-hmm. to it that uh, I think Sean Connery was sort of missing in a way. And I, I love Sean Connery, and I love his portrayal of Bond, but Daniel Craig, I think, brings a certain intensity to it that you don't, you know, Connery's Bond is all sort of smug charm and cockiness. Uh, and Daniel Craig... You get some of that, but you also get that the, there's this undertone of, of um, sort of intense self-reflection born of uh, self-doubt. Yeah. Uh, and so the, he, he seems, he's, he's a strong character. You do get some of that charm, that cockiness, but at the same time, you get the notion that it is, it's a facade to cover certain sort of insecurities and things like that. So his his portrayal of it seems much more complex than just sort of the very early bonds that are yeah, all I, I, I agree. Just total smarmy, arrogant charm. Yeah. Um. So I really like Daniel Craig a lot, and the those first three Bond films, uh, Quantum of Solace being the the weakest of those three, and even so, was still spectacular. Um, but I mean, Casino Royale of all of the Bond films ever, Casino Royale is still far and away my favorite. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, amazing oh, as Lashif. He's really good. Yeah. Oh, he 
he's so good. Um, Daniel Craig, Eva Green. Oh yeah, I she's, love. she's fantastic too. Um, the the fellow that plays Matthias, I don't know the actor's name, but he's amazing. Mm. Um, so it'll be a shame to see Daniel Craig leave. I can understand why he would want to after being Inspector, though. Spectre was just a horrible train wreck of a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I liked so much about Casino Royale, about Quantum of Solace, about um, Skyfall, was not only that you get to see some of the backstory, not only Daniel Craig's portrayal of a more sort of vulnerable Bond, um, but the fact that it was they were all sort of story-driven rather than sort of gadgets, and then Bond sleeps with somebody, and then creepy villain guy, and then more gadgets, and then Bond mm-hmm. sleeps with somebody else, <laughs> and then there's a big action piece, and then the film is over. Mm-hmm. There's actually story. He builds some relationships. That's why I like Casino Royale so much. So much of the tension is his... Uh, is sort of face off with Le Chief. and it's most of it takes place over a card table. Yeah. Amazing! Oh yeah, amazing that is really much, good. Yeah, amazing it's how much tension they build over a game of poker. Mm-hmm. It is very underrated how, or underappreciated, I'd say, how they. Yeah. How much right? of the movie is like that? Yeah. Um, and uh, his relationship with Eva Green, who is, <laughs> it's it's remarkable, because again. Rather than just sort of, hey, look, sexy girl, you know, you've got Eva Green, who is very attractive, but, but she's smart, she's successful, she's driven, and she she makes a great foil to the sort of cocky uh, charm of Daniel Craig's Bond. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the relationship between the two of them is spectacular, and um, it's a real shame to see Spectre, where, again, it's just sort of the women are all back to being sort of mindless bimbos and it's you you've got this uh who is it dave batista who's playing this goofy i didn't like him i'm yeah. not i just don't see why dave batista keeps getting stuff but yeah and i agree i it's it just it just it's it's a return to the old bond films rather than being a continuance of of the really strong writing directing uh character development acting that make Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and uh, Skyfall, so, so spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can understand why Daniel Craig would want to leave. I, I cross my fingers, knock on wood, hope he comes back. Yeah. Who, who, I mean, well, if he didn't, who would y'all's first pick be? Mine would be Idris Elba. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's, that's your... Yes. Yes. I think he would be great. I think he would be absolutely great. Um my mind still goes to, to Tom Hardy just because I like Tom Hardy, but I mean, Idris Elba, yes, absolutely, definitely, absolutely, he, he's the man, hands down, no question. Paul, what about you? Um, if you were going to, you know, accept the fact that there would be a lot of vocal criticism, I'd go Elba. If you wanted to keep it more in line with what you have right now. Uh, and if you could get him away from his very busy alien schedule, I'd go Fassbender. Ooh, that's that's an interesting. That would pick. be interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. I love Fassbender, so I that do would be like. Down. Yeah, I do like Fassbender a lot as well. Mm. But um, I don't. Is, is he Bond material? I mean, I he's know. a spectacular actor. I'd see him more as a Bond villain, maybe. Yeah, that could be good too. Yeah. Um, get Idris Elba and Michael Fassbender in the same movie. That would be. That's awesome. all you need. Yeah. Oscar winner. Done. Okay. Whatever. 
whoever this Bond is, I think the opening of the new Bond needs to be them just putting a bullet right in Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. like Christoph Waltz, but you know that whole that that whole cast, other than Daniel Craig, the entire cast, Inspector. Well, I liked um the Leah Sedu. I like her a lot. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've yeah. completely forgot about her. I just keep thinking of Monica Bellucci. Oh, that yeah. character was she's so. Nothing. She's she's a great actress. But that character was so so throwaway, such a just just you know yet another Bond bimbo floozy girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Why? What are you gonna why? do? Why? One, <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. One opportunity that I think they really didn't capitalize on. You know, you have this whole prominent fan theory that Bond is just a code name, right? Like that's one of the big overarching theories surrounding the original Bond films is that Bond is just a name that gets passed around. And at the end of Skyfall, you leave off with Bond. His ancestral home is gone. The only woman at the agency that really knew him knew him is gone. Um, The things that really tied Bond to being a single man are out the window. And so you could have actually, and I think that they really missed the opportunity, in Spectre, you could have set up who your replacement could be so that you could then make that theory canon and move on with that. And then you're not beholden to him being some white, blonde, blue-eyed guy. Mm-hmm. Then you can really just make him whoever the hell you want him to be. Yeah. And I think that they really missed out on that opportunity. Um, God, Inspector was just a, a real... A real it turd. was a real shit show. Yeah, it was. It was a, a little huge, turd. Huge dumpster fire. It's uh, a cess- oh, he's not Blofeld, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, I'd like to. Idris Elba would be spectacular. I'd love to see him as Bond. Um, and yeah, a lot of missed opportunities with 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 Spectre. What they could have done in terms of continuing with what so much of what they had gotten right with those previous three films. Um, and I just, damn you, Henry, you've made me lose my train of thought. Sorry. With all of your Sorry. train of thought and losing earlier. Um, sitting here pondering him. Anyhow, I'm sorry. Somebody somebody else say something and maybe it'll come back to me. Um, yeah, well, I don't have too much else to say about it. Um, but, I mean, I, I really, he's, Craig's my favorite, like I said. And I don't know. I mean, let's get more Bond. Let Just do, or just let each just help but do it. That's just, get up. I don't know. Some guy did really good guy to direct it. I don't know who, but you know, Let, let's make it happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's 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 all I can say. Let's make it happen. Um. All right. Um. Well, with that done. Um. Actually, there's one a question that actually um a friend of ours, this guy named my old friend, great friend uh, Jesse Bezwar. Um. He uh, huge video game fan, and he. Listens, listens into the podcast, and he actually wrote an article um, recently concerning video games and movies. Um, and if you do want to read the article, it's on steemit.com, spelled S-T-E-E-M-I-T.com, and it's called Why Video Games Will, will Soon Challenge the Video or the Movie Industry. Um, and very well-written article. Um, but do you all think that... Um, video games in terms of how artistically expansive and story in terms of the worlds they're creating do you think that'll ever surpass what movies are able to do in one way or the other no 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 
I would agree. Um, he, I mean, he had a compelling argument, um, and I think it's more of just like kind of personal, personal um, opinion, really. But for me, it, it comes down to two, two things. One, I think that uh, the gaming industry itself is not the current atmosphere. Like the atmosphere that it is right now does not harbor that. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, oh, well, indie games. You know, not as many people play indie games as they do AAA titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and AAA titles currently are not the atmosphere for truly interesting storytelling. And, like, we're never going to get Mad Men the game. Right? No. Like, we're would, never going to get... I would love to play that. <laughs> oh, I would, too. Like, absolutely. Do you want game. two fingers or one finger, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you have to quick select whatever your your dialogue option is going to be. <laughs> Mass Effect. Bert Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're never going to be there. And then the other problem with video gaming versus with filmic storytelling is you can give stakes to the action that you're seeing, right? Like Dunkirk, Saving Private Ryan. These are all war films that are deep into it where it costs something. But in a video game like with Battlefield 1, you get the gamification of death, right? Mm-hmm. And so instead of it having stakes, instead of it being a personal thing where there's turmoil, it's getting to an objective. Yeah. And so I don't think that you'll ever see... Do I think that gaming could do more? Absolutely. You look at games like Heavy Rain, uh, The Last of Us, um, the Telltale games... Uh, like Wolf Among Us and things like Skyrim. that. You, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mass you Effect can't games get are to interesting narrative, but the problem is I don't think it'll ever quite reach the same heights as uh, film and television storytelling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think some of it is more just personal, how he connects with it in terms of he's much more affected by a video game than a movie. Like, I guess, and how maybe emotionally invested in one way or the other, which I'm, I would say that I'm the opposite. I can get, I can enjoy, because I love the Assassin's Creed series, early, like, Red Dead Redemption. Um, and so one thing is about those is getting to explore another world, which is all kind of the point of video games in a lot of ways, um, which, I mean, artistically, I'd say they're incredible. And with how much they, how much detail and that's, I mean, comparable to movies, how, how much detail and the special effects and, and everything. Um, but to me, it's definitely more of a pers- a, an experience, emotional experience to watch a film in more ways than one than I would say a video game. Um, but I can, I can see why people would feel the opposite way. Um, or even with, like, books or something. You can read a book, and you may go watch a movie of something similar, but it may not have the anywhere near that effect. You know, just, I get... I guess it just depends on your your mindset, your mentality. Um, but, I mean, video games are doing some pretty spectacular things either way, you know. But I think movies are. But then I also kind of think um, there's the people complain. Like, I, I think there are some comments on that article, actually, that I read where people were saying, you're like, why would go people go see Transformers? All these, you know, just garbage movies. Well, just... There's just as many garbage video games. There are a lot of really awful video games. Garbage. There's garbage books. There's, you know, all these things. And so, no, I mean, he didn't say that. And so I'm not holding him, his article, accountable for that or anything. But I'd say 
there's a, incredible indie films coming out and some blockbusters even, um, like even some this year have been fantastic. Um, and so I'd say it's really, it's, yeah, again, it's just personal opinion. How, how, but I think they're both doing very interesting things and, um, but yeah, that's, so I, I don't think they'll ever surpass it though. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few things, which I'll say, two things in particular about film versus video games. And uh, I, I think video games are spectacular. Um, I've played video games for a large part of my life. I still play a few video games, not nearly as much as I used to, you know, because I'm an old fart now and <laughs> need to, to move on with my life and leave, leave, leave my childhood things behind. But, um, but uh, video games are great in that the storytelling can be much more immersive and it can... Uh, in a sense, I'll, I'll, let me, I'll discuss that in a moment, but um, there can be a much larger story, it can be a much deeper story, particularly if you've got a, a, a franchise, a video game franchise where the story continues from one to the next, like like the Assassin's Creed series, Yeah. right? There is an overarching story, each game is a standalone, but there's an overarching mythos behind mm-hmm. the Assassin's Creed uh, sort of... Uh, Order of assassins, I guess. Yeah. Um, or the Assassin's Creed, if you will. <laughs> um, so you can you can really flesh out the mythos, the story behind the video game, uh, and obviously the storytelling because it's it's participatory because the player is is becomes involved in that. There is a sense of um, it's it's it can be strongly immersive. That being said. At the same time, uh, a film versus a video game. A film, you can, you know, if you're at home, you can pause it, things like that. But the story continues on regardless. It, it has a set path. The film is set. You can't choose where that goes. Yeah, he mentioned that. And so, uh, in that sense, uh, it becomes... Well, I want. It's difficult. It, it might be immersive in one sense because you are you were there. You were watching the story. You're not participating in it though. Whereas in a video game, you're participating, but at the same time, oops, I died here. Well, let me just restart from the last save point. Mm-hmm. So it loses some of its immersive quality because of that. It's participatory, but maybe not immersive. I don't know uh, if if that's too finite a distinction to make there. But much too finite. But um, in terms of film, because it's ongoing, you can't stop it. It, it, it pulls you in. You, you get dragged along for the ride. And so in a sense, that can be more immersive than a video game where if something happens, you don't like it, you can just restart from the safe point, try a different path. Um, so uh, each one, I think, has its, has, has its strengths, but neither can replace the other because of the strengths and the weaknesses of each, each format. Yeah. Uh, each each vehicle, each type of vehicle for storytelling. Um, and the other thing is, watching films, when you go to a theater and watch a film, even though the crowds are dwindling, this and is the worst. Fact, and yeah, they can be obnoxious, it's still largely a social event. And a lot of times, one of my favorite things to do is when, you know, some of these big blockbusters are released, I'll, I'll go with some friends and watch this. Mm-hmm. And so there is still a social aspect to that. And you can say... Oh, well, you know, video games are social, too. And yes, there are MMOs. 
And yes, you can get online and play Call of Duty with your friends. And you can do co-op things. But it's not social in the way that, like, MMOs, uh, any time I've played them, you have a group of people that you play with, but you don't know them outside of that. Mm. It's simply a group of people that you play with, you know, a few hours a day or something. But you don't you don't hang out with these guys. You don't go grab a beer, have a few chicken wings with them. Mm-hmm. They could um, be pervs. You don't know. They could be. <laughs> uh, but um, and then on top of that, um, you know, even if you have a friend over to play a video game with, it's still not a group social activity. The way that going to see a film, you know, I, I remember uh, some of the coolest experiences. I'm not, I'm not a big crowd person, but I do remember some of the coolest experiences I've had in the past few years were going to see Force Awakens and Rogue One because you had all of the, the totally gonzo Star Wars fans out there with their Darth Maul makeup and mm-hmm. their lightsabers, and they had the Padawan robes on, and, you know, kids were running around and having fun. And so it's, it's a very much a pageant atmosphere, and there is a lot of social interaction that goes on there that you don't get with video games. Mm-hmm. Paul, were you one of those people that wore the uh, Padawan outfits and all that? You dressed up as Padme, didn't you? <laughs> I was Slave Leia, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had my 6'5 friend dress up as Jabba, and I sat in his lap. Nice. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, and maybe part of the problem is also that, like, I don't consider these as oppositional forces, right? Like, I don't consider video games in competition with film. No, yeah. Um, So for me, you know, and maybe this could be a way that you could make your cinematic universe interesting. Maybe it's spread across books and film and games where it's all one narrative but across different forms. Um, But I see them as their own their own breed of thing. And so for me, I don't see them as being at odds with each other. Um, I don't see them as oppositional forces. In fact, they could even potentially be supplementary to each other if you uh, felt so inclined to do so. I think Neil Blomkamp at one point said that he'd considered doing District 10 as a video game. So um, you can have... I think you can have both. I had an emotional experience uh, playing Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. I also have an emotional experience when I watch um, uh, A Single Man. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess maybe that's the other thing is, you know, video games have to be designed to where you're looking at all of it all of the time from every angle. Um, Whereas with film... You know, it's this really, really fantastic magic trick that you're watching where you're looking into something um, and being guided through it, and you just get to sit there and be with those characters. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, it's Laura Mulvey who talked about how the filmic experience is similar to um, Freud's concepts of uh, the mirror. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you see yourself as, you know, better in the mirror. Yeah. And film sort of does that same thing for you. You look at yourself, you imprint onto these people, and you discover yourself through that. Whereas video games, I think you're not necessarily, for most video games, again, not for all, for most video games, you're not really imprinting onto them. Um... 
so yeah, that's sort of my general thought on it. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I think he had mentioned, I mean, I think he really enjoys the competition of video games, and so he plays a lot of Super Smash Brothers and things like that, and so I think he, that's just kind of his medium, which is understandable. But yeah, for me, it's like, I can I can play a video game, even if I love something like Assassin's Creed, I can have fun doing it and really enjoy doing it, but then, sorry if you hear this phone fucking going off, people are calling the Chelsea Theater fuckers, um, uh, and, um, God damn it, I lost my train of thought, phone, phone um, and sirens, sirens and phones. Oh, and sirens, <laughs> um, uh, do 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 uh, um, I'm done, I, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> um, no. Fair enough. Um, oh, no, so, but I, I can play something like Assassin's Creed, and it's, um, fun, but then a week after it's over, it's, like, kind of out of my mind. Right. You know, and I don't have much interest in going to revisit it, but with a lot of movies, and you can get this with movies, too, I don't have much interest in revisiting Transformers. Transformers, no. No. <laughs> um, but with movies, I've never had been affected more, or as a video game as I have when I watched, like, Mad Max Fury Road or Lord of the Rings or Grow Up the Dragon Tattoo or... Yeah. Your, your you know, favorite movies, but... Or, I mean, my favorite movies. Um, and so it's... For me, it's definitely that emotional attachment and the imprinting, I think, can be very interesting, particularly with characters in that. Um, but who knows? Plenty, well, I'm sure plenty of people have that with video games, so... Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, is there are certain stories that can be told in film that would not translate into video games. Like, mm-hmm. as you pointed out, Mad Men, right? Or I'm thinking of something like, say, The Master. You couldn't... You could, the Master of the video game. Would you want to play that? Nobody yes. would want to play that. <laughs> I would love to be Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, you know, L. Ron Hubbard, the video game. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I really don't want to play... What is it? Dianetics, the video game or something? That's that's just... No, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Not, not interesting. Yeah. But, um... By the same token, there are a lot of video game properties that don't necessarily work, wouldn't necessarily work as films, because they're just too over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking about that recent Warcraft fiasco, which I, ah. I mean, I, I played those games, and they're great games, and the mythos is spectacular, but do they work as a film? They didn't really. Do not. That, At least that, how, I mean, how they, it could, just not how they handled it. Yeah, it, there's a potential that it might have worked as a film, but not how they handled it. And the problem is, I mean, how else are they going to make an artistic choice with that? Because so much of it is driven by these other races, orcs, and so forth that, you know, they decided to do CG. Now, The Lord of the Rings, uh, very similar in terms of the, the fantasy field uh, and made it work, but... Um, I don't know, I can't think of any other video games uh, off the top of my head that wouldn't work as films, but I'm sure there are some out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so the stories from one medium may not translate well into the other medium. Um, and again, that's not necessarily because it's 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 a um, conflictual relationship between the two. I, again, like Paul said, that there's not necessarily a conflict between the two. Mm-hmm. But they don't necessarily match up or dovetail nicely in all instances. That being said, there have been some really cool things that have happened. And you mentioned Neil Com- Neil Blomkamp doing District 10 as a video game. That's that's an interesting District concept, 10. doing sequels or prequels uh, 
in one format versus the other. So you do one as a film and then the sequel as a video game, or you do have a video game and then do sequel as a film. That'd be interesting. There was actually on Sci-Fi, the TV network, I remember there was, I don't know that it exists anymore, but there was a TV show that was linked in with a, uh, a an MMO, a massively multiplayer online game. Hmm. And events in the game would be reflected in the TV show, and so it was almost as though the players were having some impact on the arc of the television show Hmm. or something along those lines. And I forget what it was called, but it was uh, supposed to be kind of... Something like that would be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And so I, I don't know... I don't think one is ever any... One is ever going to replace the other. I don't think video games will replace TV or film. And I don't think film will ever re- replace video games or TV. That being said, I think there is a direction that they will move in the future where they are more closely aligned or, or uh, they interact in a more uh, intimate fashion than they do now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's about all I got to say. Um, I hope he's satisfied. Um, Oh, he's probably not because he feels the opposite way. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so if, if you do want to read it, I'm not just saying this because I'm his friend, but it is a very good article, and it's um, why video games will soon challenge the movie industry. Um, and his name is Jesse Bezwar, so give him a look. Um, it's well done. Um, all right, so one last thing um, is fr- from another friend of mine. How do you go about talking to non-film nerd buff, you know, quote-unquote, that even sounds kind of pretentious saying that t- about movies. Like, do you all have people who you, I mean, because Brandon, you and I always talk about movies, but then there's always going to be people who aren't movie, aren't interested in being as movie savvy. And so, I mean, do you have a way of approaching that or? I don't know. I mean, it's difficult because you don't want to bore them I'm with, I mean, I don't have a, any particular training or strong background in film other than having grown up around a theater yeah um so i don't have necessarily the 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 worry about bogging people down with too much jargon or approaching it from a too technical standpoint it's mostly uh, an enthusiast i'm mostly an enthusiast myself Mm -hmm. so a a novice a dilettante or whatever you want to call it a dilettante we'll go with that um but uh i do love films i enjoy watching them i enjoy discussing them Uh, otherwise i wouldn't be here i guess but um, it's it's sort of it's it's a difficult situation because you don't want to bore or alienate these people. You don't want to turn them off the film by by inundating them with all this crap and trying to draw them into something that they might not find interesting. At the same, by the same token, if you yourself are enthused about this and you try to share this enthusiasm, hopefully some of that will rub off on them. Yeah. And so it's 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 how do you toe the line between not not being overbearing and alienating, pushing them away from film, but at the same time discussing it and, and uh, conveying the, the verb, the excitement, the enthusiasm that you have for film that will hopefully pull them, draw them in like a magnetic force, like a gravitational yeah. force. So, yeah. Paul, what about you? Um, well, I guess it also sort of, for me at least, depends on the person that I'm talking to. If they're open to having uh, an actual discussion on film, then I try to gauge that pretty early on. So that way, if I know for a fact, you know, if, if there's someone who's going to try and insist that Twilight is a better-made film than Avengers, <laughs> I don't even fucking bother. Yeah, just um, get out. 
so I mean, you know, I try to gauge whether or not they actually are willing to understand why film is an art form, what film is, and then I sort of go from there. Um, and if they're really open to getting deep into it in one level, some that I'll I'll talk about, much to their chagrin, I'm sure. But yeah. if they're sort of tepid on it, then you know I'm. I'm more likely to try and address it over time as opposed to, to inundate. Yeah. So it really sort of goes on a person-by-person -person basis for me, and also sort of topic-by-topic. -topic. If there's someone who's like, yeah, I really love movies, and it's like, oh, you know, what are some of your favorites? And it's all modern stuff, and you look at them and go, well, what about Casablanca? They're like, oh, I don't, I don't watch black and white movies. Mm. And it's like, ah. Okay. That's... I'll leave this. <laughs> I'll so, leave this. You know, it depends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just a general thing, I guess, for everyone who has a passion. It's like if you talk to someone about something you're passionate about, it shows, um, I think. Like, there are plenty of people who work at Joe Van Gogh, um, who watch where I work. And if you're in the Chapel Hill area, come to Joe Van Gogh, come to the Chelsea. Um, we're, we're there. Um, but people, you know, who love music, and even though I love music, I love Green Day <laughs> um, in particular, you know, they'll tell me about and uh, about their experiences with music, going to shows, et cetera, et cetera. And that's even though I may not know what everything they're talking about, it's still very interesting because mm -hmm. you can tell they absolutely love doing it. Just like I may tell them about a fantastic movie I watched or and it, hopefully it will show in what I'm saying. And so, I mean, yeah, definitely, because, I mean, I think the question involved this guy, he had started a new job, and he didn't have really anyone to talk to about film, and so he's kind of been curious, um, and he's just a nice guy, and he wants to help out the podcast. Yeah. Um, and, but, yeah, so, I mean, I definitely pick and choose, obviously. I mean, luckily, movies and music and TV and even books and are kind of a thing that most people are going to like one way or the other. You can if you don't have anything to talk about. Hey, have you seen any good movies lately? That's kind of my go-to line. Yeah. You know, if if you're forced into conversation with someone who you have absolutely nothing in common with, um, that can be interesting. But yeah, I mean, just I'd say if you're gonna talk to if you really want to talk movies to someone who may not be uh, who may not be a quote-unquote film nerd, whatever that is, I don't know. Um, be passionate about what you're saying, and uh, you don't need to say oh. The cinematography in that one shot was just brilliant. You can say, you know, just, <clears throat> but you can still be passionate about it, even if you're maybe not using, like, super yeah. film tech school jargon, you know. Well, the other thing is anytime two people are discussing something, it's always an interactive process. And that's the other thing that, that, that everybody should remember if you're t discussing something that you're enthusiastic about is this other person has things that they are you know that he or she is enthusiastic about and so let them discuss their interests as well yeah. i mean that's a, that's a big thing is if you want to discuss your film with somebody then it's a reciprocal thing allow them to to discuss their interests with you as well and so it's just don't hammer them with movies 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 maybe let them get an edge a word in edgewise about maybe <laughs> books or or music or something like that mm -hmm. um so it's again, it's 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 a distinction. Not talking at someone, you're talking with someone. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's also one way to sort of perhaps open it up a bit. Is 
it's a discussion. Allow them to share something about themselves, and then you can share your, your love of film with them. I mean, that seems like an elementary thing, but a lot of times it's, it's something that a lot of people, I think, forget. Yeah. Man, who the fuck is calling so much, Brayden? <laughs> There's been a lot of enthusiasm about raising Bertie because uh, we had the sellout with the QA. Oh, yeah. Uh, the previous weekend, everybody's been going Cuckoo. bonkers about Cuckoo. trying to get tickets, which is really not going to be an issue. So if anybody is out there listening uh, and you want Raising Bertie tickets, you won't have any issue whatsoever getting me this week. It's stop calling. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got that little, that PSA out um, for the Chapel Hill area. Um, all right. Um, well, I guess that's about all we got. Um, I guess we can just quickly do our pick of the week, um, which is for people who may be new, is just we're going to, like, each week just pick out something we've been watching on the side, or maybe it could be music or books or really anything um, that is just a kind of a personal recommendation um, that we think you should check out um, for whatever reason. So, Paul, do you have anything you've been checking out over the last, you know, however long that you'd recommend to someone? Uh, yeah. I First off, I did a rewatch of Mad Men, and if you haven't nice. watched Mad Men, watch it. Um, but in terms of newer material... Uh, the two things that I've watched recently that I've really enjoyed have been Baby Driver and uh, Five Came Back, the documentary oh, on Netflix yeah. about uh, the filmmakers uh, that served in World War II. That was II. really good. And that's really, really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and that's on Netflix. I can't remember if you just said that or not. But yeah, that's on Five Came Back, at least it's on Netflix and Mad Men. So if you have not yet checked out either of those, it's and you got Netflix, you're you're golden. Um, Brayden, what about you? Because um, you, you talked about Glow last week, so you can't pick, yeah. pick someone else. Um, I don't know. I mean, I finished watching Glow. Uh, spectacular. Um, honestly, I haven't been... Uh, the problem is, between last Thursday and today, we had the weekend, and the weekend is my, my busy time of the week. Same, so same here. It's been, it, it's been difficult for me to really sit down and watch anything, and there's a bit of a lull. In television right now, I've been meaning to watch go watch uh, the Place Beyond the Pines because that's on Netflix right now. Very good. And I want to watch Preacher. I need to keep up with that. Yeah. So those are the I think those are the two big things that are on my radar right now. Um, I wish I could say absolutely must go watch them. They're, they're brilliant. I'm sure they are, but I just haven't had the opportunity to watch them because curse you weekend and you're, <laughs> you know I, I don't I don't have a weekend. My weekend is is the yeah. busiest work time of work. Me, me, me too. So. But now that I've got a few days off, um, I'll probably try to catch up with some of that watching and see if I can watch, you know, that first season of Preacher, uh, maybe watch Place Beyond the Pines, uh, and see all of that. So, um, so we'll see. So we'll see. Yeah, so. we'll see. Um, and for me, I'd say they just recently put it up on Netflix, uh, David Fincher's Zodiac. If you have not seen Zodiac, it's on Netflix right now. It's a fantastic crime movie. Probably one of the best that I've ever seen. G- give that a look. It's long, but it's worth it. Yeah. Jake um, Gyllenhaal is quite good. Man. Yes. Um, definitely Zodiac. And also one from earlier this year that's been completely forgotten is A Cure for Wellness, which Brady, you still need to see. Yeah. Um, the Gore Verbinski movie. And if you like Shutter Island or The Sh- uh, Shining or 
I don't know, the Mental Asylum episode from Psych, the show. <laughs> You'll love <laughs> this movie. Um, but, yeah, so I'd say Cure for Wellness, that's on, like, you can rent it on Amazon for a couple bucks, you know. Um, and that's another one on the longer side, but it's it's worth it, I, I promise you. Um, but, yeah, um, all right. Um, well, I guess that's about all we got for this week. It's obviously been a more of an epic show with... Uh, having Paul here on, and, um... If only had a Danny Elfman score for this. Yeah, yeah. If only... <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, um, any... Paul, you want to say anything, uh, any last things, uh, before we wrap this up? Uh, you know, thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. Um, I apologize for dragging out the runtime of today's episode. It's okay, it's uh, fine. But I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And we will, first off, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, and you, Brayden, as always, you're, you're helping me make this happen, so I always appreciate your help. Well, I, I, I really, I, I, I really enjoy being here. Okay. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad. It's, it's a lot of fun. Even if, if my, my opinions are not the most sort of informed or insightful, I really enjoy just being able to be here. My like, discuss so, Yeah. So. We're here. We're uh, with, with friends. That's, that's all you need. Yep. Now we can go back to our lives and, you know, <laughs> we exit the theater and then it's back to reality. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, I guess next week we'll be reviewing uh, War for the Planet of the Apes um, and then probably maybe do like a, if there's an indie movie out, like maybe a ghost story or The Big Sick, maybe a re- another retro review. Yeah, The Big Sick is coming out this Friday. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. John Apatow film. He usually does pretty decent Been hearing films. great things about it. Come so. on, Johnny's always funny. Yeah. And the Holly Hunter is in it. And I haven't seen her in ages. Yeah. So um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Big Sick. Yeah, so we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll keep you updated. And a few things we've mentioned it briefly, but if you do want to send us, we feel free to send us your questions, comments to the Film Buds podcast at gmail.com. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. We've already heard from a couple people so far which is awesome and so thank you so much for doing that um listeners wherever you are in the world um and we'd love to hear you we'd read it on the show um more than likely as long as it's you know something you know as long as it's worth reading <laughs> you know um but uh and um and also we, we have a website the filmbuds.com i do news posts and so please feel free and you can donate because this is a completely self-funded show, you know, and so even like a dollar would help, honestly. Um, and so we have a donation page on our website. Please do that if you, if you enjoy helping us keep this going, and because you really can. Um, and you can follow us at the Film Buds on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, follow me on Letterboxd. Brayden, anywhere you want to reach you, or do you want to remain incognito? I am. Um, I try to leave as little social media footprint as possible. All right. Incognito. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Um, I, so I guess that's about it, and we'll see you next week.